My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and review of K.A. Applegate's 1996 world phenomenon book series, Animorphs. My name is Mitchell. And my name is Coleman. And we are here today to bring you a very special book in this Animorphs continuity, so to speak. A mega book. A mega good time will be had by all in Megamorphs number four. Uh, that's coming up, but first, hey, like we always do, I just, just gotta take a moment, folks, to tell you about how great our Patreon supporters are, and thank them individually, because they make this show possible, let me tell you. A mega thank you. It's a mega-sized thank you, for sure. And it goes out to Ben Freeman, Noah Troutman, Jeremy, Amanda Mimic, what? Oh, that's a new one, I think. Amanda, welcome aboard <laughs> on this mega episode. You surprised us. Uh, well, no, I do see. I got the emails. So Jennifer Baker, hey, thanks a lot. James Miola, Kendra, Kevin Kosklowski. I'm going to stop saying your name. Kevin K. <laughs> Kevin K. Grafe, Tony Pazak, David C., Kelly Brown, Josh Blount, Andrew Walker, our friend, Daniel Martinoli, Nita Labrada-Gafaro, Tim Aheen, Sorrent Joyce, Michael Blemick, and our big shot, uh, big contributor, Mr. Steven Adams. Thank you all very much for participating in our Patreon, keeping the podcast going long after the Megamorph series concludes, or the Animorph series concludes. All right. Well, <laughs> I would like to, uh, <laughs> I'd like to continue this hot streak of this beginning of the episode, uh, and Rita listener email how do you how do you feel about that i love listener emails even more when my co-host surprises me with them mm-hmm uh well i just checked the email while you were reading off the patreon subscriber so uh thanks for know, paying uh, attention <laughs> um but no really thank you guys um <laughs> this email comes from josh blount who's a big supporter of the show he emails uh pretty often um not often oh, yeah. enough we tight or we too tight. often who knows um Anyway, he says, hey guys, great episode. Uh, was a little sad that I wasn't a guest host. Throwing a little flack at us right there. Um, sure. You'll that be on the next said, one. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Andrew was a fantastic guest. The chemistry was great between the three of you, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I do have a few things about the episode that you guys might have missed. Uh-oh. It was mentioned several times that here uh, hadn't been a, that there hadn't been a morph allergy problem before this book, but no one mentioned Rachel's crocodile. You know what? I actually was going to mention that uh, after we got done recording and later in the thing. I, you know, it, it crossed like my mind. But I feel like it's a it's a different case scenario. It's not it's not like we were discussing the last book, but. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's obviously it, it should have been brought scenario. up. Should have been brought up. While she isn't allergic to morphine itself, it was clear that she was allergic to the morph of a crocodile. Just an interesting note for morphlor. Hashtag morphlor. Yeah, I always expand uh, that morphlor. I think it was Coleman who mentioned that he hadn't read most of the books in the '40s, and I can honestly say that some of them are my top five, maybe even top three books. Uh, the revelation and the diversion 
are absolutely amazing in every way. I'm pumped to hear what you guys have to say on those books. Keep it up and give me a shout if you ever need another guest host. And then he uh, listed his phone number. I assume he wants some saucy late night host from uh, the host of Thought Speak. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna night chat him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, jo- hey Josh, jo- Josh is a, a Patreon subscriber, and uh, you know the day may come yet where we could be having him on the show. I'm not gonna not gonna rule it out. I need to hear from you. I need an audio clip, Josh. Hey, Josh, it's like those famous SNL editions, man. Just because you weren't picked this time doesn't mean you're not going to go off and become some huge comedy star, all right? So follow your dreams. You could be our David Spade. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but... I don't know. He was on, David Spade was on the show. Yeah, you know what? Shut up. Uh, made it. What are we even talking about anymore? Emails, thank you. Yes. Uh, was there more to that or... Nope, I just found the one. Okay, no, great. Great uh, user... Uh, input. I love it. Thank you all. Uh, you know, I feel like it's been a while since we've mentioned uh, iTunes ratings and reviews are extremely important, and it seems like there's been a, <coughs> uh, a decrease in activity on that front. A lull. A mega lull. A little bit, yeah. It, it doesn't seem like we're quite reaching that new audience pull, uh, and it, it might have something to do with, uh, you know, our, our lull and release schedule. Uh recently but you know we'll make up for that <laughs> yeah it really does um i think we're at an interesting time in the podcast where we're hitting to the 40s and possibly the end of the series and you might think like oh i don't have to leave an itunes review maybe they're gonna wrap this thing up i can tell you that there is a lot more content coming and if you want other people to check out thoughts week if you want us to grow if you want us to expand possibly even past animorphs um, those iTunes reviews are going to push us in the right direction. And, and they just help, you know, help us know that the audience is out there and um, makes us want to put out another episode and just get back to you guys quick. And we really appreciate any of those you can do. So uh, they're super important to us, mega important. Let's just say that every Patreon subscriber we get helps to morph the show, you know, into something... Uh, help me. Where where am I going with this? <laughs> Hashtag Patreon more floor. <laughs> oh, God, that wasn't where I was going with it. <laughs> You're bad at metaphors like I am, but it's okay. Uh, the point being, Patreon subscribers rock, are helpful, and we'd love to keep the show going as long as we possibly can with your support. Boom. As are iTunes ratings and reviews, which is what we were actually talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is all the plugs, everything in there with the, the guest uh, or the email. Wow. This has been a great episode a, so far. Let, let's wrap this up. <laughs> start to this mega episode. Totally. Did I even say the title of the book yet? Megamorphs number four. Uh, this is in the time of the back of the <laughs> in the in the time before back to the dinosaurs uh, <laughs> secret of Elfinger's gold. Watch Animorphs on TV. <laughs> uh, we've got Megamorphs number four, back to before, which I always thought was a cool title. I mean, it, it kind of is one of those titles. that's like it's not grammatically great. Um, I think not doing a lot there. I think we should go ahead and just talk about how, in my opinion, anyway. I think this is the most beautiful cover we've ever gotten in the series. Yeah, it's it's pretty rad. I mean, if you're just walking through, uh, you know, your Walden books, your Scholastic Book Fair. It looks like a one. band cover, like a CD, like an album, like a Christian rock album or something. But still. Oh, yeah. 
Like, if there was a dove instead of a hawk, like, yeah, you'd, you'd be rocking the Holy Trinity right here. Uh, <laughs> For sure. No. <laughs> no Audio yeah, adrenaline. Yeah. It, it, it looks like our little Animorphs have grown up, and they're dealing with uh, some end-of-the-world scenarios. I would say, if you didn't know what this was, you'd be thinking, like, oh, is the series, like, coming to an end? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, potentially. Uh, it, it looks like a game-changer, because up to this, you know, the Animorphs covers had always been iconic, bizarre kid-to-animal transformations with, uh, you know, a couple weird-looking centaur alien thrown in here and there. Uh, but this one, we get a full cast picture. Um, I can't recall if there's been a full cast picture yet on any of the uh, books so far. I know Megamorphs on 1. Megamorphs. Megamorphs 1 I'm- had a, a, the kids, like, and half their faces turned to animals. Um, Megamorphs 1 did, and so did Megamorphs um, 3. No, they've all just been like face shots. Wait, what was 3? I thought for sure 3 had all of them on the front. Maybe not. I'm not looking at my collection right now, and I realize that I should pull up a Google Chrome window with these book covers on it. (laughs) Gosh darn it. Uh, While you're you're looking for that, I'll keep talking about it. Um, I do want to say that it's nice to see them in a little older looking Looks okay. like they're all around like fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the the character models are definitely at the most spot on point. I think for all the characters, for sure. And by the way, the Megamorphs three was the super awkward art with where Tobias looks like a freaking twenty eight year old weirdo, <laughs> and they're all like just awkwardly posing. Yeah, uh, seriously, they're all there. Google it; it's awkward. Th- this is by far the uh, the best iteration, I, I believe, um, uh, of the team. Um, I will say that I mean uh, it is somewhat relevant to this book, but again, I'm going to bring this up later in the episode. Uh, there are some weird connections I feel like between this book and uh, book 41, The Familiar, and I almost feel like this cover could have also worked. For that one, because you have, like, the ruins of their city and, like, the earth cracking up. Um, yeah, that's a weird choice to have them I mean, I guess there. it's implying that, you know, like, this book does lead to some end-of-the-world scenario, kind of. Um, but again, it, it feels much more like it fits the next book in the series, not the Megamorphs book. But it looks cool, and, you know, I'm on board. Why not? Sure. The, you know, the more I think about it, uh, the more it bothers me that... They put Tobias the bird on it when Tobias the human is also there. <laughs> no, saw, that doesn't bother me. It's obviously symbolic. It's just, it's just weird. It's the same character. Um, it's cool looking. But you can, I, I believe that, okay, I don't know. Is Tobias just like crossing his, his arms there and that's his hand? Or is that Rachel's hand because she's gripping Tobias like by the arm? No, he's crossing his, she's, he's crossing his arms and she's got her hands like on his back, I would assume. Oh, I guess I do kind yeah, of you can see, see her you can hand. See her left hand. Yeah, her left hand on his shoulder. It. it looks so much better though if that if that were her hand and she was like holding his arm. Like that would just that really make interesting it, choice. Interesting choice to put Tobias in uh, like a middle centered uh, point of the of the crowd. You know, you get Jake off to the left side. Like he's you know not that important. He's looking like a Gap model or something over there. Yeah, him is. and him and Marco rocking their like black tees and you know, uh, I like this cast. Is this a new Cassie model? This looks more how I picture her. I feel like 
I don't know if it's a new one or if she just kind of uh, cut her hair, you know, to super short. But no, this this looks more like a a genuine like Cassie. Uh, are we yeah. ready to go inside? Are we ready to unfold? Oh, I'm unfolding right now. Oh, uh, I'm unfolding too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so th- this inside <laughs> insert is so cool. It it actually does uh, fold out into like three page segments, and we get near full body images of all the characters. The the main this cast. Is a- medium long shot or a cowboy shot in uh, film industry terms and they all wore their coolest animal t-shirts <laughs> yeah no it's it is funny that uh cassie jake rachel and marco do look like they just like got their shirts at goodwill no yeah animal prints yeah it looks like they're uh, jake especially i think i've seen that tiger shirt or something similar <laughs> to it at goodwill um it's like no, no it's like a t-shirt you get at like a, a bush gardens amusement park oh yeah something. yeah i can easily see you know bush gardens up top of the, the logo there uh <laughs> the only reason tobias is uh passes that is because his wings slightly extend off his body but other than that and, and, and I felt it was an odd choice to go with Marco's cobra morph instead of, say, his gorilla. But I think the gorilla wouldn't have stood out as well against his shirt, and that's probably why they didn't go with it. Yeah, it's like he, he, marked, he morphed a cobra a couple times, right? Let's, let's throw that on there. And, you know, I really expected to, to have them do a cobra morph in this book because of that, and I was very deceived. Yeah. <laughs> this, is like is the first, this is the first book where there's no morphing, isn't it? There's more besides fun. besides Axmorph's human, but Axmorph's human. You got some morphing at the very beginning. Uh, you've got uh, Marco showing up as a gorilla morph at briefly the at the end, and it's just for yeah. just for comedic effect, basically. So on a technicality, okay, this book escapes that. But other than that, the models look great. Uh, it's a great cover. This insert's awesome. Uh, Rachel's looking. I don't know. I think. The racial model, if anything, I think looks way more different than what we've seen thus far. Yeah, I like it. it it's like a, it's like her transitioning out of that kind of like model esque uh, role at the beginning. Well, of the series yeah, exactly. You can more still serious. Tell, you can still tell that she's pretty, but she doesn't look like a, a dazzling model by any means. You know? Yeah, no. I think I think these are all new kid models, and I I, I like them. I, I think they're all pretty fitting. If I hadn't been keeping up with the Tobias uh, changes, this would come as a very big surprise to me, especially if you were to look at Megamorphs 3 Tobias compared to this. Holy crap, the difference is immense. Huh. I'll take your word for it. No, look Uh, up Tobias. I can't believe you don't remember us making fun of Tobias on the cover of Megamorphs 3. Our listeners remember that. (laughs) I'm sure. Create... Create content real quick while I look it up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Andrew, you're out there listening right now, but um, they, this is the short-haired Marco that I'm led to believe you you hate so much. So, Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like Elfinger's Secret is maybe when they fired all of these models. <laughs> yeah! Uh, Isn't it? Tobias looks like earlier marco just minus the hispanicness um, <laughs> right but he also kind of looks like he's grown a mustache already and he might be like a gang member yeah. like a middle school gang member and then uh jake looks like he just raided his dad's closet <laughs> um wow yeah that's pretty rough uh it, it was bad times and i'm pretty sure you said the exact same jokes like <laughs> in that episode uh. well, they 
They don't get old. Well, either, anyway, uh, I think we both really like it. It's weird that on the... Uh, yeah, I don't get that whole, like, destroyed city kind of angle on this. It's pretty deceiving, but... Yeah. You know, it's it's just meant to feel off-putting, I, I guess. I'll put it, It's early in the episode, but I'll go ahead and put it out there. I feel like the familiar was supposed to be Megamorse number four. Oh, they, yeah. They might have gotten... They might have gotten further into producing this book before they switched it out. You know, I I was going to to save my comments, you know, comparing the familiar and this until I've actually read the familiar. But, <laughs> but I'll comment on it now, good sir, since you have done the same, and, and just say that I'm kind of after reading this one feeling like kind of wishing that the familiar had been the one they'd done as a megamorphs and this i don't know this it's a, a single one-off it makes sense because as much as i like the familiar it's a little wackier whereas this is a more serious book so i like that this is megamorphs i feel like this relates to the first megamorphs book more where it had kind of like a just blockbuster feel um to it which also the familiar kind of does but the familiar feels like fifth element whereas this is independence day uh yeah 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 yeah, but not to give uh my review away too soon or anything um this one to me felt like just an amnesia story (laughs) really what a a super complicated amnesia story i mean you could (laughs) You could see it that way, but I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. It's, I mean, at its core, that's what I felt was the real, the, the exact the same Megamorph's driving book. force. As, but you know what? That that speaks to nothing about how I felt about the book. We're going to actually go through it now. You want to read the back? Good old buddy old pal? That'll, I do. It is my turn. That'll shut you up and keep you talking. <laughs> well, what would you do? You, whoa, whoa. What? You, you read the back. I just, I'm I just, trying. I just, you won't shut up. Yeah, because I'm trying to, like, coordinate with you uh i just want to read the one line in the middle okay proceed it's weird uh what would you do if you had the opportunity to change your life not just where you live or who you hang out with but your past present and future sounds like it might be pretty cool right sounds like this book's trying to sell me drugs (laughs) well that's what jake thought he thought it might be easier if the animorphs had had never existed if they'd never met elfanger if they had all had the chance to be normal kids. Jake gets his wish. But things aren't quite as simple as they seem. Just because the Animorphs no longer exist doesn't mean the Yurks no longer exist. Except now Jake, Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, and Marco. They don't even talk about Axe. No. Can't morph. They don't even know the Yurks are out there. And it's not such a wonderful life. Hint what are, towards what, are they? what this book is based off of. <laughs> very, very poignant. Uh, but what, what are they going to say? Uh, not the Animorphs, and parentheses, <laughs> and not Axe. And not Axe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you have it. That's, uh, in essence, an amnesia story. <laughs> it's I disagree, but we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. Um, <laughs> I want to jump into this opening, but before we jump into this opening, I want to talk a little bit about a little project that I've had ruminating in my skull um, since near the beginning of this podcast. And uh, it, it goes back to talking about our Patreon a little bit, but I don't want it to be some big plug. Uh, but 
the beginning of this book directly inspired what I think could be an amazing teaser for a live action version of the Animorphs. Something I've I've already scripted oh, and geez. written and we've already put as a goal on our Patreon. If we get up to I think it's like it's I didn't agree to that. <laughs> you you did you wrote it. <laughs> that was a long um, time ago. That needs to be updated. No, I, I like it as a goal. If if we ever get to something crazy like a thousand dollar Patreon um, subscription, um, you know, overall, if we can overall have enough subscribers to our Patreon that we get to like a thousand dollars an episode, um, I've put as a goal that we will put into production uh, a live action teaser for an uh, for a Animorphs probably movie. Um, not that we'd be making the movie or anything, but the teaser is literally like. Uh, cast or you see like a a really messed up office environment. So you got like panels hanging from the ceiling and wires and like overturned desks. Oh my god! Are you going to describe this whole thing? Oh, I'm, I'm going into it. It's, it's quick, but I'm going into it. It's, it's important because it, it was directly inspired by the beginning of this book. But you have uh, it's, it's related to our podcast. It's one of our goals on Patreon. Um, so you got like this messed up office environment. You got alien blood splashed around or whatever and out of nowhere you see a, a wolf come into frame and it's like dragging its back legs it's obviously hurt you're hearing it like whimper a little bit and it's like moving it's like you got a tracking shot of it moving through all these bodies and humans and uh maybe you see like a hork blade sticking out of something and uh it's just obviously this huge battle has just happened and this wolf is just like dragging itself through it managed to drag itself into this elevator and then you cut to this busy bottom floor lobby of this office building. Tons of people running around or whatever. Um, and you've got doors open. Cassie walks out. She appears. There's blood all over the elevator. But she looks clean. She she walks out of the elevator, mingles with the crowd. Noticeably the human. Yeah, noticeably human. <laughs> where the wolf once was, people. And walks into the crowd and gets lost, and you you pull out into a big jib shot and uh, cut to credit. My one my one contribution to that is as she turns and walks like into the crowd, the camera cuts to behind her, and you see the wolf tail suck back up into her. <laughs> no, we would not do that. Yep, that's my one contribution. Okay, so whatever. I, I, we think, make... it, I think it'd be I think it'd be super easy to do and get people excited about animals and the, the idea of a movie. Okay, okay. I, I pitched it to Michael Grant too. Uh, absolutely. Oh God, don't. Not yet. God. <laughs> don't don't bring him into this just yet. Uh, you you get to make one, and then we'll raise enough money that I'll I'll make my idea, my own idea. Uh, yours will just be weird and turn people off the Animorphs. Yeah, probably. But it's going to be artsy and awesome. Look, nah, nobody I, wants Nobody wants the the animated cutie honey Animorphs cr- uh, crossover. All right. First of all, nobody's looking for Everybody that. doesn't know that everybody wants it. And secondly, <laughs> uh, I don't have an idea just offhand waiting to to fire off. Uh, I haven't been holding on to the same idea for the past 4 to 5 years. Um, unwilling to change any details about it. When you hit perfection, there's no reason to change it. Mm, so they say. Until they make it. Ooh. Gauntlet Whoa. has been thrown down, Patreon supporters. Give us the money. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, we can talk about the book now, if you'd like. Well, 
like you said, I mean, this whole thing starts uh, uh, with this particularly bloody battle. That's it's very gruesome. Um, we've seen several like it before, and there's really no context given to this one. It's just you know, uh, Jake's not having a good time being the old Animorph leader. No, he's not, and it's uh, it's right after this battle that was really hard. I love when books open like this uh, in the middle of like some mission that they succeeded, but was really hard on the group and you have you know he doesn't even know if cassie was alive like he thought you know he last time he saw her she was backed into a corner uh rachel is even though the fight's over rachel's just howling and swiping at nothing yeah because she's lost in her rage uh marco was close to dying as well i believe and Mm -hmm. uh in particular you know they have to deal with a, a dying controller um, and it's just a nasty situation that sticks in Jake's mind. The guy, you know, kind of begging for help and them not really being able to provide any kind of help or comfort to these people that are really just victims, um, in this, this whole war. And does it say how they handled that guy? Did they just leave him to die or yeah, they, they, they left? They, they take him out. had to leave. Huh. The year couldn't get out of the guy's head because he said it was blocked, so it's probably some mm. kind of internal I guess, yeah, bleeding. Yeah, he didn't see Marco, so he's not a witness. And uh, yeah, no, they just left him to die. They had to, unfortunately, because they they had to bail at that moment. So Jake, in particular, you know, took this really hard. He's he's not having a good time. He's feeling very powerless and unable to actually make changes. I feel like you know, in this war, um, this has the benefit of coming after you know those last couple books we read and after reading this thing i really felt like just in general jake is being tested a hell of a lot you know more than a lot of the other uh team members lately well it's also just the fact that we have um Kay applegate coming back in and she obviously cares a lot more about krayak and this krayak jake um antagonistic relationship than any of the ghost riders or they may not even have let the ghost riders touch it as a topic uh, but but she obviously wanted to bring that back and and it, it's a super interesting way to do it where it's like hey we'll solve all your problems kid just you know get in bed with the devil yeah that's very true uh we always love you know reappearances of crack and elemist um lately it feels more and more like the drode is just becoming you know a stand-in for crack um and uh, not a whole lot of advancements are being made on the plot. They just kind of pop yeah. in and, and make plots happen and pop out. I, I do want to just for half a second say what a breath of fresh air this book was. We, you know, we're, we're deep into the ghostwritten books. And, and we've had some really good ones. I mean, we've had ones that we've really enjoyed. Uh, so it's not to say anything about the quality of them. But... It just feels different coming back into a K. Applegate book where it's just like, oh, this is so streamlined and and clear in what it's saying. And and it's like, you know, we're back into these characters like they haven't felt like this in a while. You know, like it's extremely well written. And there's a reason that she is now winning awards left and right. Like it it feels great. Yeah, every every character is spot on. I mean. There, there's no qualms about the quality of this thing. This is the genuine artifact, folks. Yeah, just the writing style is just, I love it. It's great. Exactly. So, uh, plot-wise, this is really where the things kick off. Uh, after, you know, the battle's over and Jake's just got to return to normal civilian life, he's laying in bed at night and uh, he's really tormented just about the day's events. And 
this is when the Drode decides to pop in on him for a little bit and kind of sort of tempt him into cutting some sort of deal with Krayak. Um, he's not very specific in, in you know, what he's what going to do. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think in a mistake here is Jake not asking for more specifics <laughs> of what he's agreeing to. Well, he, he caught Jake pretty vulnerable. That's That was the point of this. And uh, but I love I love the um, the request to what he says specifically. He's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll solve your problems. I'll get rid of I'll get rid of the the leadership role that you have on your shoulders. You just have to say one word. Oh, wait, wait, wait. two words. First <laughs> right. one's Krayak. Second one's please. And that's just that's that's a cool line. Exactly. And, you know, he knows exactly uh, how to tempt Jake. He knows he knows what to say to him to. Uh, to get him to eventually uh, take the the shortcut out, and uh, and kudos kudos to the book for not letting us hear Jake say that, like not actually showing Jake say it, just say like telling him what to say, and then Jake thinking about it, and then cutting back. Right. Yeah. And and this is how Drode uh, convinces him. You know, he, by pointing out his teammates uh flaws and and really just kind of stirring jake's fears about you know what he's going to eventually lead his friends into so he says uh, cassie in the cave the metaphor that's that's pretty cool oh absolutely but i'm I'm gonna read uh what what the drode says to him okay uh this is after jake says go away i said through gritted teeth how long till you'll how long till your cousin rachel loses her grip you know the darkness is growing inside her how long till Tobias dies? A bird! A bird! How can he ever be happy? How long till Marco is forced to destroy his own controller mother? Will he survive that, do you think? How long, Jake, till you kill Tom? Then what dreams will come, Jake the Yerk Killer? Boom! He's, like, tackling all of his insecurities, you know? Yeah, and, and covering the Animorphs in a really cool way. Like, kind of updating us on where they should be at and, uh, you know, what's going on. Exactly, and uh, you could almost call this foreshadowing, I guess. Uh, he made no allusion to Cassie there, though, w- which would seem to imply that he has no knowledge, prior knowledge, of Cassie and her superpower that's revealed at the end of the book. Well, not not just that, but also just the fact that Cassie, even at this point in the series, is, is one of the Animorphs who could get out of the situation scot-free and not horribly tormented by everything. Sure, yeah. I don't know what the reasoning is there. Maybe he just didn't have anything. I mean, he very easily could have said, how long until, you know, the only girl you've ever loved is is murdered in front of you or something. How long until you and Cassie finally get to, like, second base? That's been going on for a while. (laughs) We've been watching for a long time, Jake. Me and Krayak, you know, it gets lonely on Saturday nights. We just watch you guys. It's like a reality show. (laughs) Play Grand Theft Auto 3 next. <laughs> oh, good relevant time frame uh, for which Grand Theft Auto they'd be on. I, I took a guess, and yeah, it seemed right. It felt, I think it, it might be right. before then. It might still be before then, but close. <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, plot-wise, I mean, uh, uh, what happens here is that Krayak basically r- removes the Animorphs from the fight with the Yurks, takes them back in time, um, it really resets the timeline back to before, like that plot would imply, or that title mm-hmm. would imply. 
Um, so this is this is a starting from the beginning of the invasion, like number one, the invasion, as well as the actual invasion, and uh, seeing what happens if the team didn't go to that construction site and meet that dying alien on that fateful night. So that's what yeah. we get. <laughs> we're we're back at the mall, and we're we're seeing. I, I love that we see the uh, beginning of the invasion play out from Cassie's side things yeah so we're seeing her being all nervous about jake and um what she's wearing and and how her relationship with rachel uh you know it's just great seeing that that other side of the coin um as we go into the construction site and they're choosing to walk the other way walk the long way around the safe way oh it was barely even mentioned i i actually appreciate how you know they didn't dote on it for too long oh, should we or should we not go to the construction site it was yeah. like you know, we chose to go the other way, and then boom. They, and to, uh, Tobias is still looking up at the sky, and this is uh, Ax, you're not Ax, not Ax, but Elfinger, uh, Elfinger's ship come down, but he just thinks it's a meteorite because I guess they're pretty far away at this point. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so that's how yeah. they avoid the event and avoid becoming the Animorphs. And uh, if if there was a discussion on whether. Uh, something a story similar to the familiar, or this one should have been a Megamorphs. I'm glad this one turned into a Megamorphs, simply for the fact that this story I think works absolutely the best because we're jumping around between the Animorphs, seeing all of them and uh, their day to day lives without being Animorphs. Ah, uh, yes, but you know what? We didn't consider the obvious choice. There just should have been more Megamorphs books, okay? Both of these stories, this one and the familiar, should have been Megamorphs, and there should have been way more Megamorphs. Um, yeah. And there should have been way more Chronicles, but boy, the, the Applegates were tapped out by uh, by these last couple books because, I mean, they, they really wrung the series out for all of its genius, you know, here in the last 15 or so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I think, if they weren't on such a crazy schedule, there's so many more stories they could have told. You know, the schedule is what really held them back. Uh, I don't think they were out of ideas. I just don't think, if you're putting out a book every four months, how could you possibly come to the best idea in that time frame? No, yeah, totally. 100%. Uh, if, if this were to get a modern-day reboot, it should be reimagined, I believe, into you know longer-formatted, uh, more teen-oriented um, stories. Uh, I think you could still do chapter books. I don't think it necessarily has to be longer. Um, but you just it's just a different time frame is all I'm saying. Maybe you put six months between books instead of four months. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And maybe make them, you know, 30 chapters instead of the standard 22 to 24 we've been getting. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So this book uh, really just picks up, you know, with the kids going on with their normal lives or trying to anyway. Uh, Tobias is kind of an outcast, as we knew, uh, at his home. with He's staying with his uncle currently. And as we know, his uncle's a bit of a alcoholic as well as very negligent, possibly abusive. Um and we we get to follow him through his daily life and really see him getting bullied at school. Yeah, I mean it's, it's Tobias is pretty rough in the, um, in this book. Seeing not only what his life was before the Animorphs, but seeing how it didn't get any better uh, for him being out of the Animorphs. Like it's funny that he looks up to Jake and thinks Jake is like the life that he would want, and Jake is the selfish one who made this choice to go back to his old life because he had it pretty well. 
Like, Tobias had it horrible. Like, you can't think of... Even though Tobias is a pretty humble person, a, a good kid, as you see when he says, like, oh, you know, other kids have it worse. Other kids, unless they're, like, starving or homeless, they don't have it much worse than Tobias. Oh, you know, you're right. I didn't even consider that upon reading this the first time, that Jake really, really screwed Tobias over in throwing him back into his previous life, one that he hated, and, uh, in fact, is is responsible for him becoming a controller. <laughs> yeah, easily. What a dick. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's Tobias is as someone who had a uh, rough middle school. Tobias's story hit close to home, and it's 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 horrible. And you know, like the the kind of people that the sharing is trying to pick up. Um, that it it I love how this book makes the sharing more dangerous because it's kind of become a joke in these ghost written books where there's a sharing meeting or whatever that they break up and attack or whatever and the sharing is just a background thing but this book i think sells the sharing and the yurk invasion in a serious light and tone as like Vizzer did this very serious like plan to entrap humans and and possibly get some voluntary hosts and how that could work I, yeah. I, I love that this book goes into that yeah the coolest thing i think about this book is that it shows us the entire process from start to finish of how they you know lure unsuspecting uh people in and and you know if it were a, a maniacal cult that'd be one thing entirely awful situation but the fact that it just so happened to be the like 0.01 percent of cults that has a brain infesting alien uh really even uh, more unfortunate for these folks <laughs> yeah we're, we're we're tobias gets knocked on his butt and he's hanging out in a puddle of piss and just at the at the one lowest point in his life um and you just got a guy walk up to him and say hey you don't have to be treated like this this doesn't have to be your how your life is uh come check us out and just hands him a sharing business card that's whoo that's great that's awesome yeah i'd like to point out that these two uh sharing randos um i i think they were in the bathroom at the time of his beating and did nothing to prevent it necessarily and that's smart they they that's only so smart well yes of course they have to let him experience you know that really low low and then that's when they swoop in and make their move to invite him but it's not just that it's, it's a whole nother level of smart too because people in the sharing yurks uh your controllers they don't want to bring attention to themselves so they're not going to break up this kid or this fight with this kid possibly get suspended themselves and bring any kind of attention towards them so they can both a have tobias experience that have him be at a super low point where they could then hop on to try to grab him and then b stay out of the limelight themselves be in the shadows not really a part of anything it's just stellar stellar writing yeah Absolutely. Um, he's bullied by these two kids in particular. Um, they get names, but it's just for this <laughs> yeah, book, really. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he this is where his uh, venture into the sharing starts. Um, we it also jumps around characters, so I guess we'll just kind of bounce around the plots as it goes. But um, this is where Cassie, you know, is living her normal life, and she starts hearing acts. Well. She starts. She doesn't know what she's hearing, but we know it's Axe, and 
this is just where she's having visions and everything and memories so, and thoughts about Animorph stuff that she shouldn't be knowing about. So cool that we're rolling through like the first few books uh, in just this one book. It, it's really cool to see Cassie getting the visions and the, the thought speak messages from Axe uh, that she got in the message. That was an entire book of itself. Uh, just a couple weeks after they would have become Animorphs. Yeah. Um, just really cool. Very, really cool to be experiencing that. Very familiar events are unfolding here, but this time, you know, she doesn't have that explanation as to what it is, so she can't go looking for it. She thinks she's going mad. Um, and, of course, Axe, you know, is still trapped at the bottom of the sea in that uh, Andalite dome ship that fell, and he's just kind of figuring out how the heck he's going to get out of there, if he should. He's wondering, you know, uh, what it's going to be like on the alien planet. He didn't even know about, you know, humans or anything. He didn't uh, spend much time doing his research again. (laughs) Yeah, I really also appreciate for this book that, you know, we see Axe as part of the Animorphs, uh, no matter what the marketing team says. Um, We see him as a really important part of the Animorphs that kind of brings them into the the cosmos side of things with the the different alien uh, with the war and like the andalites relationship with the yurks and he's he's just a vast information dump for them all the time and he's a respected part of the animorphs but this book really puts into light that without the context of being with a bunch of humans who know nothing axe is just a kid who is not planning anything is like kind of trying to stay ahead of the game military wise. But again, he's a recruit, like doesn't know what he's doing. And I think this book really shows that in several ways, uh, while he's still heroic and still doing his thing and, and, and really useful, uh, he's just, he's just a dumb kid. Yeah. You, you, causes you definitely open bring warfare up with the Yerks. Very good point. His plans are so simplistic, you know, he's just kind of like, Oh, I'll just, he's not a leader. Like maybe he is at the end of the series, when he has his own ship and he's a prince and everything, but uh, right now and during the war, he needed Jake. He needed the other Animorphs to to balance him out. Yeah, he's a warrior, not a not a leader. In the in our last episode, we had a whole conversation about how uh, he is very much that really dumb kid, and um, this this definitely adds to that. I think. Uh, we got Tobias being courted now by the sharing, and one member in particular, Bill, I guess, is this guy that's kind of um, set up to be his guide or, or, you know, the guy that pulls him further into their clutches. And Bill loves to employ many of the classic tactics of a cult and luring Tobias in, you know, working his magic, making him feel better about himself, telling him about how his life got better after he joined the sharing and... Uh, I mean, so so this is this is weird for me. So um, this is not a podcast that I want to get too deep into religion uh, and discussing that. But I I grew up in a church environment, and uh, everything with the sharing, I, I'm like right on board. Like I I know like okay, yeah, they're doing this right. If you want to, you want to. <laughs> now I'd like to think that most religions. Hey there, kid. You're feeling down. I got the thing to pick you up. Well, no, but like that. Like, it's called the Bible. Well, you know, they have things like, uh, like you know, church camp and things like that, where you have the fun up front. 
you have the the things you want to do the pool the basketball the hanging out with your friends and then hey come back to this back room and, and we'll tell you a little bit about god um, <laughs> yeah exactly and 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 you know i again I come from a religious background. I'm still religious. So I don't want to say that I'd like to think that religious organizations, they come from a point of actually wanting to help people not put a slug in their brain. But That's debatable. The, the, but cults, cults and um, organizations like the sharing, uh, they've preyed on that. They've taken that format because it works. It does bring people into the fold and, and gives them a community. And once you have community, you really can get people to stand behind whatever you're trying to do, whether it's for good or, you know, for taking over the human race. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so there's a lot of positives about cults, right? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's super fucking cool to see this whole process <laughs> of them, you know, luring this vulnerable kid in. And, and the fact that it's Tobias, you know, a character who's very near and dear to so many people's hearts. Um, and just knowing that this great tragedy is going to befall yeah. him. Um, wow. It, it's powerful stuff. Um, this is a fan favorite character. This isn't like, you know, you know there's no, I, I don't want to name an animorph that people don't really like. <laughs> Everybody has an animorph they like. This but, is like if David got <laughs> taken over. <laughs> no, David's awesome. I will start the David fan club right now. Yeah, but um, do you think David should be a controller? Knowing would, knowing what he knows. David would be some dumb kid who's like in the background and David would be the kid who comes to the sharing like spikes the volleyball illegally in somebody's <laughs> face like accidentally hurts somebody and then like it tries to make excuses for why it was their fault and then they try to make him to become a full member he's like no screw this noise I'm out <laughs> that would be David's sharing experience no they would take him anyway and uh because remember his dad was like a hot shot yeah the NSA um, or yeah. the FBI or whatever. Exactly. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, no, this, this is great to see. And, uh, Bill, you know, I love the messaging, you know, you want, you gotta be part of something bigger. Um, it's, it just works. It hits somebody like this who has nothing going on in their lives and like, yeah, I'll be part of something bigger. That's cool. I, I'm all for this. Yeah, no, exactly. He's got a crappy life of solitude basically. And then he comes to this place and everyone's hanging out, having a good time. There's fun stuff to do. People are being nice to him for once. People actually want to talk to him and are interested in what he's saying. Like he's having a good time. Cause this is the opposite of his life. Unlike Jake, who has been brought along by his brother, Tom, of course. Um, he, he's just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't work on Jake. You know, it, his mind's always in a different place and it, it just seems like a facade to him, I guess. Well, Jake's also not a follower. He's not somebody who's just going to stand in line and, and let people be heard or, or just go along with whatever the crowd's doing. Like he, he, he makes up his own mind on things. And that's, that's not the type of person that sharing wants or can really reach. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, Marco in this, this nightmarish alterniverse is, uh, <laughs> he, he's in another place entirely from the other characters, and uh, him and Rachel are on this uh, field trip to some damn museum. And Marco uh, trying to hook up with Rachel is uh, a high point for the series. Oh, That's this just... is this is purely, like, uh, uh this is pure fan service, basically. All you kids out there trying to write fan fiction, this is the type that works. Like, realistic. Like, these characters, their interactions together in the normal universe is antagonistic because they probably would get together if not for all the events that happened. 
Like, that's the type of relationship that works. Not Marco and Tobias, but only when he's in Bird Morph. Like, you know, come on. <laughs> exactly. It's it's like fan fiction, but better. Uh, yeah, they're, they're like flirting it up and, you know, just kind of into it. And everything's going smooth until, like, freaking plot takes a right turn. And Marco's mom walks in all of a sudden and... He flips out upon witnessing her as. You know, oh, I, I love the change, the change in attitude too. Because uh, you could have written the scene where Marco's still trying to like look cool to Rachel, but he's like freaking out of his mind. No, he absolutely does not care about Rachel or anything or what he was doing. Every his whole mindset changes to, oh my gosh, my mom's alive. Yeah, well, absolutely. This is, uh, you know, the first time you would have seen her in the story-wise. Um, just like remembering back to the first time he saw her uh, naturally in the normal timeline. Um, he didn't know she was alive, man. Uh, we, we get we get a nice scene showing how Axe acquired that shark so long ago. Cool. It was... I like- it was, Axe messing around with dome ship functions and yeah, yeah, it, it was cool. At the same time, it felt like that was one thing they added in when uh, they decided to make this a Megamorphs book. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> uh, and then you know, Marco and Rachel giving chase to uh, uh, Visor One, and um, she's. Uh, calling in you know extra goons and stuff on her phone the whole time and by the end of this chase scene they're uh in a shootout well i mean they're not shooting but (laughs) they're getting shot at (laughs) by guns and uh ray guns as they keep calling them assume drake on beams yeah yeah um but yeah it's it's crazy that they would be that open with them uh shooting out in the just some alleyway but uh yeah they really wanted uh i guess it's a scary scenario for visor one you're running, and then these kids out of nowhere start chasing you. You don't know why you were transported, so you have to assume that they transported you there or something. And who knows if she even got a, a good look at him enough to know that, hey, my son, my host son. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Me. I assume that she knew it was Marco chasing her, and that's why she took off in the first place. I feel like she couldn't have, because if she did, they would have come for Marco. Oh, really? No, I because she doesn't want to be seen by Marco. And well, she doesn't want to be seen by Marco, but I'm saying if she gets transported to Earth out of nowhere, doesn't know what technology brought her there or whatnot, and then her son, her host's son, starts chasing her, if she would have seen that it was Marco, her first call is the goons that she brought in who were shooting at them. Her second call would be hork to wait at Marco's house, you know, to grab him and see what he knows. Why were you chasing me? How did I get to Earth? All that stuff. So I feel like she didn't wait, wait, wait. see who it was. What do you mean, how do I get to Earth? She was there because this is the time, the point in the timeline when she would have arrived on Earth. No, she got transported to Earth suddenly. They even talk about it at the end of the book. She she was transported to Earth when she shouldn't have. She just appeared downtown or in the museum or whatever. Yeah, they're in the suddenly. museum. It's, it's, it's Cassie's influence on the, on the storyline breaking apart it cassie cassie knowing something is wrong uh started messing with the universe and it brought uh marco's mom to earth suddenly that for no reason. was not it's talked about in very clearly in the end overly of the implied i don't know the, about the that. Dro- no the drode flat out says it oh, okay it's be one of those times where i look up something in the book and prove you wrong go ahead oh is it talking. there might have been one sentence towards the end that i didn't understand he said something about teleporting Visor one to Earth. Mm-hmm. Keep talking. 
Either way, <laughs> yeah, I do want you to show me this now. But uh, I was under the impression that that was just the time that she arrived for the uh, her first appearance plotline, um, the old shark infestation idea. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, it's it was an unexpected turn. I thought uh, this this particular tangent that the book went on, but. Um, here we go. You ready? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> this isn't just to prove you wrong. It's also to clear this up. Um, I'm going to read this whole paragraph. The, this is from the end of the book, so spoilers, but you know, it's Megamorphs. We're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the droid spat in disgust. You knew the girl was an anomaly. She, You knew she was sub-temporarily grounded, and you knew that whatever timeline I built, her presence would eventually destabilize it. She knew from the start that the timeline had shifted. She felt it. I might as well have terminated the exercise then. I saw the sudden, inexplicable transportation of the mother. I thought, well, it's a glitch. The hands morphing to Tiger. All the little breakdowns of logic and sequence, I still thought it might hold together. Oh, okay. Holy crap. I wish you would have only read the yeah, the, the particular uh, reference that we were talking about, but whatever. Well, I wanted to show how it tied into Cassie, and he was talking about Cassie. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, so there is that one line that clears that up. Okay. Uh, Boom. Weird. But, yeah, not what I expected. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we get another scene of, you know, this this book tends to follow Axe uh, quite a bit. Um, and he's always off, you know, apart from the, the rest of the team. Um, it's kind of neat, though, how they all ended up together anyway. Or like, yeah. implying that they would have somewhat. Um, so Axe is, you know, underwater and... Um, the bug fighters come for him and he gets he gets out in time and he's got an underwater fight with some taxons and uh just kind of swims away from it feeling pretty confident uh well uh, real quick would they have ended up together anyway because this timeline is also distorted because cassie knows something is wrong there are several points where they meet up or she's talking to them about something being wrong that you could say changed this timeline too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, really yeah. Up, up to a point. Up to yeah. a point. Uh, probably this point right now because X just got freed from the uh, dome ship, and um, Tom is still trying to you know convince uh, Jake to come to another meeting of the sharing, and he actually caves you know and goes to it and agrees on it. Um, but this is when Cassie calls to to talk to him about all this crazy stuff that's going down recently. And um, though he isn't able to get together with her then uh, because of his aforementioned uh, agreement with Tom, uh, they just plan to get together later. <sighs> so they go to the sharing meeting. And <laughs> this is when Tobias, you know, we finally get to see the, the, the whole plot come full circle with him. Uh, he decides... After, you know, having yet again another run-in with bullies, this time uh, he gets the pleasure of being saved by a couple of uh, sharing members who sort of, they had a very good timing here because they're in like a locker room or something and those two bullies come no, back. No, they're, they're in the gym, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's during a class change, so people are kind of shuffling in and out. and um, The sharing members are really good about appearing quickly, 
solving the conflict, and in this case, it's just like threatening to murder one of the high school kids, <laughs> and and shuts the whole thing down right away, and then gets Tobias out of there, you know, and really makes Tobias feel good, and just fills him with that dopamine that makes kids put space slugs in their heads. Which this is the only thing that um, I'm not sure how it works with the rest of the series and what we've heard of the sharing. The fact that he says that Bill told him that, you know, you get you get a few times coming to the sharing and then you have to decide whether you're a member, whether you want to become a full member or not. And if you don't, you get kicked out of the sharing. Now, I wonder if there's another level to it. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say that, too. Where are their recurring members? Where are all these background people that are just hanging out? Do they have like host bodies on standby to just be like stand arounds? <laughs> Well, no. So I, I think um, I was gonna kind of go a different direction. Every time we hear the sharing having functions and stuff, there's always a ton of people who show up. You know, there's people playing volleyball. There's people doing all this other stuff. I wonder if there's like so you have people who just show up to the sharing to like play basketball or to like hang out with their friends or something who have no interest in becoming members. But then someone like Tobias comes in, and, and they, those other people can probably come as many times as they want. You know, they're just hanging out, and then maybe at some point they get a little more serious, and then they have this decision. Coleman. Tobias comes. I can, I can break it down for you. The The sharing is like a pool, okay? There's varying okay. depths to this pool. There are those that come, and they only put their you know toes in, and then they leave. But there are others, like Tobias, that start walking in. And they get out to the end where they can't touch the bottom. And then the metaphor ends and they're stuck in a cult. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I'm trying to break down the actual, like, how this works. And I think you're right in that metaphor. Tobias, other people just are, like, sitting on the side and they're, like, playing with their feet in the water. And they can come back as many times as they want. Uh, and, and I think someone like Tobias... He is lonely. He's looking around. He gets, uh, you know, he gets meets Bill and gets tagged with him. Uh, he's someone who's in the shallow end. And if you're in the shallow end, either you're going to go to the deep end after a while or get out of the pool. Or somebody's going to pull you in deeper. Huh? huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. But I just logistically, I was trying to figure out the sharing based on what we've seen in the rest of the book. Sure. And I'd like to point out that Tobias is still technically an outcast at these sharing meetings that he's attending because the, the people, the only people that he really interacts with are the ones that brought him. Um, similarly, you know, Jake and Tom have a, have a similar situation and that's probably why Jake doesn't have any fun with it. Cause I'm sure Tom immediately skedaddles to go do important York stuff. And Jake's yeah. just like, wow, this is lame. Um, so, but Tobias, you know, he's got good old bill there. For support, little Bill. Bill's building him up through billiards. Oh my God, is that why they did that? Oh, is that why they that'd did, be did that? Super clever if they did. That has to be it. I didn't put it together until now. Bill, because <laughs> they, they do play. Uh, they put a lot of emphasis on pool. On, they do on billiards. Old Bill, the billiards man. His name's probably not even Bill. It's just it's just whatever game he's playing. Like if they were playing <laughs> basketball, he would have been, hey, I'm base. What's up? What? I'm Basque. I'm base. You dumbass. You said the wrong ball. <laughs> what? No, I didn't. You said base at first. Yeah, playing. like B-A-S. Like basketball, bass, base. I was just trying to think of it on, the, on my feet. You should have gone with a better one. You should have been like... They played foosball, and the guy said, my name's Foos. Foos. Is that better? It's basically, yeah, he's 
Bill, I was Bill playing billiards. Great, <laughs> I was obviously talking about the great game of basketball. All right, Coleman, then you got to pick a lane, buddy, with your jokes. All right. I love it. It's referencing the Trey Parker Matt Stone classic, basketball. I bet you don't even like that movie. I love that movie, actually. No, I love that movie. I own it on DVD. <laughs> Do you? I don't own it on DVD. But I don't own many DVDs anymore because it's a dead technology. Oh, oh, I'll go one step further. I own it on VHS. That's just sad at this point. <laughs> Silence. Uh, yeah, okay. Sharing meeting. And um, like we said, Jake's, you know, he's not having that great of a time. Tobias comes up and he's, you know, he's feeling real high. He's feeling full of himself. He's like, sup, man. I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a full member, man. I'm going to go full on. Full on brain slug, brah. And Jake's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, Jake's Jake's got a lot on his mind. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, if all of this stuff wasn't weighing on Jake's mind and he did have Tobias come up to him, um, you know, and, and strike up a conversation and them actually forge a friendship, um, either, I would like to say, either Tobias wouldn't have become a full member or Jake might have delved further into the sharing as well i want to play out a scenario here for you whoa okay do it this is uh this is what megamorse number five should be um if it had ever existed after the a, beginning yeah that's what we call it um <laughs> it'd be a back to before except the yurks don't exist so so how these characters would interact i really like the idea that jake and cassie's burgeoning romance would have actually started like him just going over to study with her maybe they would have started dating and just had a normal relationship you'd have someone like rachel who's like this warrior woman waiting inside of her she probably just would have become like a really career oriented person like you know nothing crazy not killing gymnast slash businesswoman yeah just someone who like throws themselves in their career or something uh tobias i feel like he would have gotten low and low and low and uh, maybe him and Jake would have ended up friends. Maybe, like, Jake would have saved him again from bullies, like, way down the line. Or Jake or, or Tobias would have just found that weird friend group who plays, like, hacky sack in high school. Uh, uh, if, I may, if I may interject, I, I'd like to imagine that, that Tobias would be the Sean to Jake's Corey Matthews. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With, uh, with Marco in it, they become the trifecta, like a friendship. Or they just, you know, don't become friends. But Tobias they, finds other friends. They really imply, especially in this one, that Marco just straight up doesn't never cared for Tobias. Yeah. You know? So, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea of, of them all, you know, without the Yurk influence, without the Yurks taking over the world, uh, they still would have had these connections. Um, but I guess also Tobias wouldn't exist if the Yurks and the Andalites didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, uh, yeah, you know, the, I think the lead up scene, in fact, that we get next of Tobias, like going to the meeting room. OK, we got we got counting me. We got four people here to, to become full members, whatever that means. And, you know, it's like a random assortment. It's like a cop, a reporter, like a music producer, dude. And mm-hmm. um, Tobias is like the only kid, in fact, which he finds very odd, but we know why. And, um, you know, they, they lead the reporter chick down, and then Tobias is, you know, momentarily distracted by some meaningless dialogue, and then he's pulled off. And uh, really, really just horrifying scene. Um, 
very powerful. I, I I believe I felt it, man. Reading this was like, oh, Tobias, if only you knew, get out of there. And I love, yeah. I love the little nod to where you know everybody's starting to feel these little glitches or ripples in the time stream, and he's like, I should, I should be out flying, like grabbing a thermal. Like this ain't right, you know. <laughs> like yeah, like maybe if he would have had one of those glitches earlier, he wouldn't have gotten pulled into the sharing. Like if he started questioning things earlier. But the fact that it happens right before he's about to be infested sucks. That's true. You know, it's too bad whenever he got uh, bullied, like physically attacked, he never had any like glitches to like, oh, I need to flap. I need to fly. I need to get out of here. You know, like, yeah, none, none of those scenes for poor Tobias. <laughs> I think the saddest thing, I think there's two sad things, one of which I didn't realize till just now. Uh, the first sad thing and how good the scene is, is uh, he walks in, the woman who had just walked in before him. She has that, you know, awesome break of character real quick where she glitches out a little bit from her yerk not being used to her host body yet. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And then and then uh, what sucks for Tobias is he's in this horrifying moment that changes his life forever. And the rest of the yerks in the room are indifferent. They're talking about statistics on voluntary hosts. Yeah. About, you know, it's so indifferent to how horrified he is so cool. and how terrified he is and the second thing that makes it super sad is that man the son of elfanger this is this is what his life becomes just another york host of course you know controller it's, it's just it's terrible in a in a <laughs> in a universe of coincidences this is one that's not i guess <laughs> i don't know this but is yeah. just, just puts a spotlight on the importance of a father figure in your life. <laughs> Way to go, Elfangor. I, I think this is uh, probably one of, if not the best scenes from this book, gotta say. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna do something now that I don't ever do. Dramatic reading? But I'm going to read the next line exactly from my notes because I liked it. <laughs> Whoa, you never do that. <laughs> So at this point in the story, Axe has spent some time amongst the humans now, and even acquired some like unknown human morph. He has, however, ended up in an insane asylum, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's obsessed with the cookies that the shrinks were apparently giving him at one point, Oreos. And uh, upon learning that, um, you know, they're not they're not going to give him any more cookies, he's like, "Well, screw this, and I'm out of here. <laughs> I've learned all he I made- need to know from TV." He made a scene at the last cookie time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and he also got totally uh, uh, spotted by somebody demorphing. Luckily, it was a crazy person who nobody believes anyway. Again, Axe is just a kid and an idiot. (laughs) Totally. Oh, yeah. He would have given away their, their... His thing. Well, I mean, his whole plan in this book is just dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, he, he decides to get out of there and he's like, well, I'm just going to go show the world an Andalite and see, you know, if the Yerks come at me. See what happens. Like, why don't you just do that in the street or like pick a busy place and do it? Like, if you do it on TV, you're bringing the entire Earth, or, you know, Yerk invasion force down on you. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. To one specific point. Um, I, I don't know. Like you said, it's very simplistic. It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna do the literal only thing I can because I don't know what the Yerks are up to. So I'm just gonna bring them to me and hope that I survive the encounter. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Tobias is now uh, feeling out being a host body. That's also pretty terrifying. Um, yeah, meets his, meets his Yerk. 
Odret177, who, unfortunately for Tobias, is in the middle of a Game of Thrones-esque uh, <laughs> right, he got yeah. he got one of the worst yurks you could have been assigned. Unfortunately, <laughs> easily like a guy lying about being from the Council of Thirteen. All right. Like how long is that going to hold up? <laughs> totally, I don't, like they threw this plot. I think way out of left field. I, I love I, it though; it's great. No, it, it does. It it speaks volumes about uh, just the trials and tribulations that yurks them themselves go through because we're looking at this from the human perspective and oh god this these creatures are so horrible but if you, you turn it around and look at it from their perspective like there's so much drama behind the scenes and backstabbery and i love that you could literally i don't know how many how many star wars books you've read mitch i assume not that many all of them um all of them but you could take this this relationship, and I, I don't I'm not saying that Kay Applegate stole this, but this relationship between Visitor Three and Visitor One is very similar to like the Emperor and Darth Vader at the height of the Empire, and you have these minions that they're always like sending to each other and like trying to fool the other one or get them trapped in something, or uh, like the Emperor is always testing Darth Vader, and then just like Visitor Three, Darth Vader is someone who doesn't mess around. With who's working for him? If you displease him, he's gonna lightsaber you through the face. Uh, so it's it's a it's a really cool to see that relationship here in this random subplot uh, of Megamorphs. That's great. Yeah, I think the authors would appreciate that comparison you just made, buddy. Yeah, well, they love Star Trek. I'm just throwing a little a little bit of the wars at them as well. I'm sure they're fan of the wars too. You know. Um, but yeah, you know, Bill Boston to, to break up Tobias's big important meeting uh, to tell the visitor about this Andalite that's just appeared on TV. And um, when Jake and Tom are hanging out at home, uh, Jake sees you know Tom. Uh, oh, well, first they see the broadcast on TV. Of it. a lot of a lot of the plot is uh, quickly accelerated by convenient TV appearances in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so of course Tom's like I got a I got a jet. He makes a call and he's on his way. And Jake's like, well, this is very odd behavior for my brother. Well, not just not that. He, he thinks it's weird and he falls him upstairs in kind of a goofy brotherly way. But the second he sees Tom put a gun in his back, uh, back of his jeans, um, or what oh, he thinks is a gun, everything changes. Yeah, he's. Uh, he just instantly is like, oh, my God, he's up to no good. Um, well, I love that he's still coming from a brotherly point, though, too. He's like, oh, man, obviously Tom's just like into some stuff he shouldn't. I'm going to go with him <laughs> right. and, and, and stop him before he makes a mistake. Sure, yeah. And so to that end, he back to the futures it and hops in the back of Tom's car <laughs> as he hauls ass off to the with dance. With all the plots happening in this book, I wouldn't have been surprised if, like, Biff showed up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> kid, kid, you gotta go back with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you the old man Biff, or yeah. are you, is that your doc impression? That's my old man Biff. Because <laughs> oh, nice. he shows up, and he's like, "You gotta go back with me." And Jake's like, <laughs> "Jake's like, back where?" And he goes, "Back to before." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hashtag I want that book. Hashtag I want that crossover. Ooh. Oh man, I just want to watch Back to the Future now. New thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, you know the plot's really accelerating now because uh, Jake follows him to just like I, I 
as horrible as this is supposed to be, I totally imagined it as a comedy scene where Jake's like, <laughs> you know, Jake, Jake thinks Tom's going in to confront some like cholos or something from a gang. <laughs> he, he hears cop cars like escorting them to wherever they're going. He gets out and <clears throat> they're at the TV oh, station. No, I, like, I like the thought he has real quick when the cop car starts escorting him. He thinks that his brother is like some cool 21 Jump Street police officer. Like a high school police officer, like a sitcom or something. Well, that wow. entered his mind. I don't think he seriously thought that. I want to. I want to read that book. He questioned. <laughs> I want to watch Tom's that sitcom an undercover show. cop. Yeah, he's also seventeen, and he goes by the name Perfecto. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, back to before. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, like I was saying, I imagine it as a comedy scene where Jake's walking into the TV station. There's like, it just it sounded like there's pure chaos going on, like people shooting, and uh, it sounds like a random shootout at the OK Corral. And it's just acts there, like supposedly causing trouble. Um, and uh, Jake even gets shot at by Tom at one point. Her may or may not have seen him there. What do you think? Yeah, it's well, it's weird. I, I don't think. Tom saw that was Jake or anything. I think they saw movement behind whatever stand up Jake was next to or whatever, you know? And, uh, I think he, they shot at him. It's weird to me that they would shoot at someone. Like they would notice someone's over there, like a possible witness and not check to see if there's a body. Well, yeah, it's just seemed like they were in such a hurry to get to this Andalite and they probably figured they'd have a, like a, C team on standby ready to flush in and find anybody who, you know, wasn't already a controller and make them them yeah. or off them. Um either way, you know, I thought I felt like Jake got out of there a lot easier than he should have, really. Um he just kind of comes in for the tail end of the chaos and sees uh uh car roll up with Chapman, Visit 3, and our man controller Tobias. I like that we both get we get both Chapman and Melissa Chapman in this book. Yeah, she's uh, hanging out with Rachel. Uh, she was uh, mentioned in the um, chapter where they're on the field trip. Museum. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and she leaves Rachel to go to the bathroom so Marco can prey on her. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to think I'd like to think that at this point, you know, after the events of book two, if those had played out, you know, without Rachel doing what she did. Uh, Melissa probably would have been a, a made a controller as well. So yeah. she was probably leaving Rachel to go do controller things. Not only that, think of all the things that have probably happened at this point. You've got the Yerks having a great water source that's not disrupted. Um, <laughs> thanks to book book three. Uh, you've got, uh, oh gosh, what was the plot to book five? Marco something. <laughs> something, something, Marco, something, something, space gorilla. Beating up some, beating up some. <laughs> People in an alleyway for pizza or something. Uh, this is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of events that we could list, but but uh, things things played out differently here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after after that whole thing shakes out, um, the team meets up in Cassie's barn, and it's very reminiscent of you know just another Animorphs book. That all these kids are getting together again. I, I th- oh, this would be in in structure terms. This would be your ending of the or maybe your middle or beginning of your second act, uh, where you have 
everything building. Probably in, no, this would be beginning of the third act. So you have yeah, the first act yeah, that's introducing exactly. everything, doing all that. You have the second act that's like, oh my gosh, uh, there's Yerks here. I'm being infested. Tobias changes. Axe gets his plan together, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the beginning of the third act surprise where all the characters are right where they're supposed to be. They're back in the barn. Uh, it's it's great. So I'm, I was excited to see them back there and Marco jumping on his hay bale, hay bale that he loves to jump on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of cool once again to see the team knowing that they'd get together. Although this is probably the point where the timeline is so corrupted that um, these events wouldn't have shook, shaked out like this. These characters wouldn't yeah. have been brought together in this particular way. Um, right? I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm looking uh, on my summary because I changed the size and all the text. Cassie, Cassie, really. she keeps calling up all the memories of things she shouldn't know. Oh, thank um, you, thank you for reading it word for lights. word from my notes so that I can <laughs> easily locate super. where we are again. <laughs> that helps. That helps. They all look to Jake to lead them. <laughs> you want to just read the rest of this thing, and then we can freestyle it for the re- for the rest of the episode. <laughs> just speed read through my whole summary uh, and save I the mean, people it's, the time. It's, I'm I'm simply pointing out how good the summary is. It works, even if you just read it. I started writing these things. And you know what? I was thinking about this. Hey, if you guys are interested, seriously, hit me up on Patreon for this. This is a good idea, I think. I was going to write these full-length summaries for every book, because I pretty much have them already. I, I think I have them all saved still. But I was going to combine them all together and just be like, Animorphs, the summary series or something. Well, yeah, dude, save that. We can sell that on Amazon. It's like an unofficial fan guide. <laughs> sure. Well, if you're going to be a Patreon subscriber, you'll get a copy for free. How about that? There you go. It's still monetized. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is the point where they're sitting around, you know, things are glitching out. Um, I, I love the emotional aspect of this, too. You know, this is really hitting Cassie very hard, as well as the rest of the team. Everybody's uh, very disturbed. Um, but... Once again, you know, it falls to Jake to sort of lead the team and, and decide what they're going to do. And uh, this being like his first attempt at being a leader, you know, very simplistic planning. Again, he's just like, well, I'll just watch my brother for a bit, I guess, because I'm at home with him. <laughs> and then, um, you know, Tobias, all the meanwhile, is uh, discovering just how bad his, his new life is as a controller. <laughs> he, 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 Splits out on his uncle, um, hops in a car and goes to the local McDonald's, which, as we all know, is an entrance to the York Pool. And extra happy. <laughs> definitely. Happy meal. Extra, extra happy. Always. Um, but he, he's pretty much taken off guard by Visitor 3 immediately, and wouldn't you know it, Visitor 3 is just On like... the pier where he's, you know, he's hungry. He's a York. He's had his three days. He's uh, getting a little snack, and we're not talking about a large fry. Um, and but before he can get to the end of the pier, that's when Visitor Three's goons uh, grab him. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that description more than what I just said. Yeah, um, it's the jazzed up version. <laughs> you really, I I laid the bones, and then you put the the meat on it. You know, you just described the whole podcast in a nutshell. Totally, totally. We should put that on a T-shirt. 
Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, the bones, Coleman, laying, the laying the bones, <laughs> the bone layer. They call me, and you're the Ooh. you're the meat man. <laughs> <laughs> I we, like I we, like the jazz <laughs> reference more. Like you're, you're the you're the bone layer. I'm the musician. If we if we continue the podcast, let's adopt stage names or, or alter egos. I'll be I'll be the bone man or the bone layer, and you be the meat man. <laughs> I want to be Marco. No. You don't get that. <laughs> but I thought it was super hilarious how Visitor 3 is like, yeah, I know I know what you're doing. Jigs up. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a hard ruse to, you know, figure out. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Uh, this Yurk apparently thought he could get away with it. Um, and he, Yurk even says, like, he kind of admits that it was a suicide mission, you know, like, but he's still at the end, like, he doesn't hold up to torture at all. Um like the, even the idea of torture, uh, it immediately turns on Visor One. Oh yeah, exactly, the, and it's very, uh, very um, exempl- exemplary of the uh, the Yerks that that's hardwired into them is just like no, nope, we're gonna we're gonna bend the knee wherever possible to ensure our survival. Um, and, yep. <laughs> um. The, the, I like this next sentence too. I don't. I, now it's like an in joke because you know when I'm reading off my summary, but the <laughs> listeners <Yep>. don't. <laughs> but 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 meanwhile, Jake and the team learn how hard it is to try and watch somebody without the ability to turn into animals or without their trusty eye in the sky. <laughs> Look, let's 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 do a little a little game for the listeners. You ready? <laughs> next next line. Ready? Me or you? Both. Oh, <laughs> okay. Luck- Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Luckily, Luckily the plot finds the plot them finds them via, via acts on TV again. On TV again. Jake this is, and the t- this is not a good idea. <laughs> you know, like, this is not a good idea. It's, <laughs> it's just I feel like not. I feel like we have at least one listener who got something out of that That's, little. It's not good podcasting to try and <laughs> sync up our voices. <laughs> Uh, I'm having a good The plot time. finds them though, luckily, <laughs> via axe on TV again. <laughs> Were you expecting us to use different versions of via? I said via. <laughs> oh no. I wasn't. Okay. Uh but yeah, like like I said, the plot's delivered via TV once more, and uh Jake and the team learn pretty much everything they needed to know about the Yurks invasion from Axe's little broadcast. No, message. but I, I like this. Like they're watching Axe's invasion and Jake is like this feels right. Like he's not just he's not just getting this information for the first time. It's almost reaffirming what he thought was going on, like subconsciously, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's cool for, and it seems like this is the point where, um, because of Axe's actions right here, the Yerks have to actions? really, huh? His actions. <laughs> oh God! I thought I misheard you. I hoped I misheard you. <laughs> But I didn't, and it was awesome. Well done. Uh, but through his actions here, uh, the the Yurk invasion is substantially sped up, right? Well, so, okay, so let's break this down a little bit. So this Yurk probably came in the real series, too, right? There's no reason he wouldn't have. Um, sure. And, and you have to assume in this timeline, maybe it's because of the host body, 
Uh, maybe it's because of some other factors, or because Visitor 3 was distracted by the Andalite bandits and the other timeline. Uh, and so he didn't have time to deal with the spy from Visitor 1. And so I guess he just believed it. Because it says, like, so he, the spy, he's delaying Visitor 3 and going in open warfare because the Council of 13 is going to agree with Visitor 1 and keep things as an invasion, like a secret invasion. But in this timeline, Visitor 3 isn't distracted by the Andalite bandits, so he can, you know, he figured this guy's plan out earlier. Um, right, yeah. So it really shows how much the Animorphs were doing in the other timeline. Yeah, and slowing them down. Yeah. Exactly. Um, sure, because the, the invasion had been just exacerbated to the point where uh, at the end of this thing, they're you know flying bug fighters around in the street, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, which which we're talking about in the early books too, like books one through nine. The Animorphs didn't even know what they were doing half the time. They were failing missions, but just their presence, just a rebellious presence on Earth, distracted Visitor Three long enough that Visitor One could get the Council of Thirteen on her side and, and declare an actual proclamation on keeping this a secret invasion. That's that's pretty cool. You know what would have been really awesome if they had time for it. Uh, is if Visor 3 had actually captured Visor 1 at some point in this story here towards the end and was just outright like, this is the end, and he murders her. Like, yeah. <laughs> possibly, uh, hopefully, it would occur in front of Marco, just for added effect. Well, again, I haven't read a lot of these books in the 40s, but at some point in the next seven books, uh, Visor 3 becomes Visor 1. Yeah, well, yeah, within the next, I, I don't know. I, I think I, that doesn't happen until, like, the last three books or something. We'll see. I haven't read that, and I've read the last three books, and I never read that happening. Oh, okay, well, I don't know. Whenever, don't whenever know it happens. gets out in the open, whenever they run away with their families, uh, I never read that book. Oh, so. okay. Well, we'll be getting to it shortly, uh, I, I believe. That's um, exciting. But either way, you know, the plot's in full swing now, and, and because of X's constant uh, uh, interruptions, Tom is just freaking out. Um, he, he overhears Jake and the team kind of talking about what they're going to do next, and, you know, he knows they're up to no good. So he forcefully tries to take Jake and Marco uh, to, to go be infested, you know, and it leads Which to, like, this Successfully. Struggle. For the most part. Well, I mean, oh my god, it's six, he, until Rachel comes and beats the shit out of him with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh yeah, but he cold cocks Marco, and he's got Jake by the, you know, little hairs, and the, he would have gotten him in the car or whatever if, if Rachel hadn't shown up with a baseball bat, which that's just awesome. Just, you know, things are happening, trouble's about, Rachel decides to grab a baseball bat and go over to Jake's house. That's awesome. <laughs> that is Rachel in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, without morphing powers, that's, that's what they gotta rely on for now. However, you know, this little short-lived victory of theirs is kind of ruined by the fact that a bug fighter just shows up in their little suburban neighborhood and starts blasting away at three Which kids. I don't fully understand why this bug fighter was focusing on them. Oh, neither do I, man. Th this is my one biggest uh, uh, like WTF. This doesn't this actually doesn't make sense. This is this like, felt like a hard rap of the the story here where they're yeah, like, "Okay, because... suddenly attack." Like, okay, so if Tom had made a call and told them that, like, okay, these two kids, possibly three, these two kids uh, now know our secret. We got to get them. So I could understand if a, a, a group of human controllers rolled up and tried to grab them or something. But if you're throwing bug fighters out there that people can see, 
then there's no reason to shoot these kids because your secret's out in the open anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what their thinking was as well, unless uh, Tom overheard, and I don't, I, I don't think he overheard um, them mention anything about Andalites specifically or Axe over the phone. I don't think Jake. Well, if he said heard Cassie's like side, if he picked up another phone and he heard Cassie's side of things, she says that we should know this Andalite. Oh, really? Okay. So, so that would be a big deal. Right. Maybe... It wasn't made explicit whether Tom heard that part of the conversation or not, but um, thinking that they're maybe in cahoots with the Andalites or maybe they were replaced by Andalites might, yeah, maybe might, they are draw, Andalites. Down a, uh, might draw down a bug fighter. Um, yeah. They could be Andalites in Morph. Exactly. And, and, you know, Tom doesn't know. He doesn't want to take that chance. So I don't know. It, it just seems very out of nowhere that this bug fighter shows up to start blasting away at three kids. And, uh, you know, we get Jake, Marco and Rachel all running for their lives. And then out of nowhere, Marco's just killed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like this. This is um, something that goes back to if you're a Joss Whedon fan from way back day. Uh, he hasn't made anything good recently. But um, if you're a fan of his Buffy series or uh, even Dollhouse uh, Lord help you. Um, he was very big on deaths of main characters being just random occurrence because that's how people die in real life, especially in war scenarios. Like there's no big fanfare or slow motion or anything. People just die suddenly. And then you just have to move on, especially in like a war scenario. And that's, I love that that happens at the end of this book multiple times. Yeah. It felt very much like uh Megamorphs three actually. And that's yeah. that's probably why it had less of a shock value. Okay, Applegate comes back. She's just got to ruthlessly kill these kids in the worst way possible. <laughs> if that hasn't already happened. Um, but, yeah, this, it's because of Megamorphs 3 and how effective it was there, because it was Jake getting shot in the head out of nowhere. Um, here it's Marco, and he's just kind of caught in the aftermath of one of the explosions. And uh, unlike Cassie... Uh, who gets vaporized later. Marco leaves a body still laying there. They're like actually running and they're just like, Marco's just laying on his, he's laid out on his back and they know he's dead. You know, it doesn't say yeah. he's dead, but they say he's on his back. We got to keep running. Um, I assumed there was a, a very visible wound. Otherwise Jake wouldn't have just moved so fast. Like it wasn't just like, we got to check if he's breathing or something. He, he could have been in like multiple pieces or something. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we've got Axe, who's wandering around uh, Circuit City, um, like, because <laughs> he heard that was the, the hip place to go for technology or something, I guess. Now, for our younger listeners, that's like a Best Buy, but uh, with bad money handling. Do our younger um, listeners know what a Best Buy is? It's like a it's like a store version of an Amazon. <laughs> okay. Well, do they even know what Animorphs is? That's, that's the question. I don't know. Why are they listening Who to are this you? podcast? <laughs> Who are you? What sorry or rip did you travel through to get to this podcast? Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, Axe is just, he's chilling out. He's doing his own thing. He's like, a, you know, a kid plotting his next move, like you said. And I imagine him, like, stepping out front the, uh, the, the Circuit City doors. And then the blade ship just, like, merges into traffic and drives by. <laughs> Because that's that's basically so, what happened. Along those lines, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I love this. I love the scene of uh, all the you know leftover animorphs hanging out at the mall. 
Um, you know, they can't talk to their parents. Cassie had to leave her parents. Or Cassie's parents are like begging her to come back, but they could be taken at that point. Cassie just has to deal with that. And they're just uh, hanging out at the mall food court, just trying to figure out, like, are we? do we need to go on the run? Like, what are our lives now? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And, and, then, Lay and low. then you see, like, just, like, the best scenes of, like, the start of, like, a zombie invasion or something. We get this, like, perfectly normal scene that's interrupted by hork and and the start of the real york invasion yeah and i like you, i like that it's prefaced by you know they they say because this broadcast potentially went out to like all of america maybe all the world and yeah. and they're even like you know president clinton oh, uh <laughs> <laughs> is is saying you know we don't we don't need to be alarmed but we're going to mobilize our military. That was probably a really was, was that a Nixon? No, that, that was, was like... that was more that was more Mitch McConnell than fucking Bill Clinton. But <laughs> it, it's whatever. He's not important anymore. Um, <laughs> it's a good reference, and it was a you good hear impression. That? Shut up. You, you hear that, Republicans? The Clintons aren't important anymore. <laughs> yes, because so many active Republicans are listening to the Animorphs podcast. <laughs> There's probably a few out there. Ah, uh, no, no, don't care. Anyway, um, so we brought up religion and politics in this podcast so far. Most popular episode, easily. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the last Megamorph book. We gotta we gotta pull out all the stuff. I, I do like though that you pointed out it is is very much like uh, a zombie outbreak movie or whatever. Where yeah, they're sitting around chilling, thinking about how bad their life is, is now when. All the people are like flocking to the entrance, you know, they see something cool or something, whatever. And I think this is very realistic because if aliens were hork oh, were yeah. about to walk in, you know, there'd be people with their phones out going, oh, what the hell, man? I got to get close to it. Uh. And and they know what's up right away. And they're out of there bolting, running through the mall, relying on Rachel's expertise to know what stores are the best to hold up in. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I love I love that. Yeah, you have. The hope you're coming towards the entrance or whatever. That's why everybody's running away. But then for us longtime fans, uh, I assume everybody reading the fourth Megamorphs books of the series, uh, you have hope you're spilling out of the gap to you in the York entrance. And uh, oh, it's just great. Callbacks abound for sure. Um, so they're running away and uh, along the way they managed to pick up some some dropped Dracon beams and so now they're armed with guns and they're just blasting away and this is really I think the first time we've seen the team actively rely on firearms well, um, they can't morph <laughs> no exactly so they had to give them some other self defense mechanism some kind of murder mechanism ooh that should be a metal band if it's not already ooh. Um, <laughs> um, well, anyway, they, they find Axe, you know, who's of course always around when they need him. Uh, definitely not uh, worthy of parentheses, but full on anamorph treatment. Mm. And uh, this is where Cassie sort of is like, oh, yeah, hey, Axe, what's up? And uh, they, they figure something's, something's afoot. But Axe isn't really a team player, like you said. Um, so he's just kind of like, yo, take me to the roof. We got to get to this roof. And I'm going to pack in as many accents now. You better enjoy it, mother effer. <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted from this podcast. <laughs> Impressions abound. Um, and, and yeah, so there's Storm in the Roof. And this is where, you know, for me, it felt like the plot was really hardlining towards a conclusion here. Um, stop me oh, yeah. if, if I'm not only barreling is, through not it only too is fast. Everybody, 
not no, not as everybody, you know, uh, getting together and, and meeting up for the most part. Uh, but I love their interactions. They're so similar, but yet different uh, than they would be if they were the Animorphs. Uh, once they once they meet Axe, um, he's back to his condescending self, even though he's working with them because they saved him. Um, yeah, they do a like, good job of leaving their memories unintact. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, that's got to be hard to do when you're used to writing these characters and how they should be or how they've evolved. Uh, but I love the I love the axe taking the Drake on beam from, from Jake. Jake. Yeah, and that was cool. He's like, well, you've already lost him twice. I mean, three, three times. times. <laughs> he gets to show off his handy uh, tail work. Yeah, well, good for him. It's like the one time axe gets to feel badass about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but at this point, the the plot is just kind of like get on the ship. So they're storming the blade ship, which is inexplicably just parked on the mall roof. Um, and Hork Bajir are coming at them left and right. And they're running up this entrance ramp to get on the ship. And, uh, really cool from Rachel's perspective, uh, scene of her just outright, I think being decapitated. That's my gruesome interpretation. I, I took it as just like throat slit. Cause that's something that would like mess up her face and, like maybe like two horpiture blades at the same time or something. Uh, no, dude, because it, it said she. Uh, uh, oh man, I wish I could read it again. I don't know what chapter. It was. Uh, I could probably find uh, it's it. Oh, just here there. No, the no, end. you keep talking. I'll I'll read it. What you you did enough dramatic readings? No, I haven't. I'm gonna do more dramatic readings. I think read them three. We don't need a Rachel impression right now. Oh, we absolutely do. Hang on, I'm I'm flip. Oh, I found it. <laughs> no, I got it. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, where, where are you going from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um... Oh, no, I want to... Here we go. I got it, I got it, Okay, there was a ramp leading up into the ship, 50 yards, and not a horpager in sight, not a guard. Of course not. Why bother? What kind of an idiot was going to try and run toward that ship? Our kind of idiot. The Andalite kicked <laughs> up the gravel. We raced behind him. Something was coming down the ramp. <laughs> now nothing was coming down the ramp. Under the shadow of the ship, we hit the ramp. Horpajir above us. <laughs> More aiming at us. Yeah! I screamed and lunged. I felt the wind off the Horpajir arm as it blew past me. I never felt the wrist blade. I hit the corrugated steel floor, rolling onto my side. Saw bright lights and moving shapes. The movements grew slower, slower. Stop. See, I feel like that's a that's a throat slit. No, that's definitely her head got lobbed off and it rolled onto the floor. She saw some lights and shapes, and then everything just kind of slowed until it stopped and faded out. Ooh. No, 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 because she says, she says, I hit the corrugated steel, rolled onto my side. That means yeah, she's still connected to her it's body. Still, it's a children's book, dude. They can't say my head rolled. I don't know. <laughs> let's, see. If, uh, let's say if it's like. If she just got really hurt and she's like bleeding out of carotid or like carotid artery, oh, what is that? Carotid artery? I don't know. Carotid don't artery. don't suggest things you can't pronounce. If she just got like a major artery slit or something and she's bleeding out, I'd say that's written by Kay Applegate. If she got decapitated, that's a Michael Grant influence right there. Hey, it's leave it up to interpretation. What do you say, folks? Hit us up in the comments, like and subscribe. <laughs> Put up a <laughs> hit up a, a Twitter poll. Uh, do you think Rachel got her head chopped off? Yes. <laughs> or do you think it was just a good old fashioned throat slash? This a good old fashioned we... throat slashing. I like that. Yeah. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> it's a good band name too. <laughs> oh, good old fashioned throat slashing. Uh, that's the, the the new album from uh, well, Murder 
Oh, what was the one I you said forgot before? The, don't say things you don't remember. That's not what my rule was. <laughs> you know nothing of my belief structure. <laughs> okay, moving on. Rachel's dead. Yeah, um, the good times are rolling on. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, sometimes, they're storming the blade ship, making it to the bridge. You know, I like that. Uh, so, okay, this book came out before the ending of the series. It's kind of cool. I don't know if this was intended. I don't know if this was intended, but the fact it's cool that in both timelines, Rachel dies, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they all kind of it's have like she's had their destined. deaths. Yeah, but she's, like, destined to die. I mean, it's, hasn't everyone kind of had a death scene, basically? Not yet, just Marco and Rachel. And now about Cassie. Jake. Jake died. Well, yeah, he, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Jake died. And, you know, Marco has had so many near-death experiences that they basically amount to a bunch of deaths. So Yeah. He's uh, gotten his, like, stomach ripped open or almost cut in half at least, like, five times. Oh, yeah, yeah. So many injuries. Um, so, yeah, far less shock value, I think. And now, after the, the death of Marco, I'm like, oh, okay, well, now that Jake's going to watch all of his friends go. Because that's, you know, how they're going to torment him more. And uh, there's a little scene, a little confrontation, sort of, with Visitor 3. It's kind of scuffled over, and they they gain control of the ship pretty quick. Um, However, another thing that happens pretty quick is, like I said earlier, Cassie gets uh, Dracon beamed out of existence and uh, is disintegrated there. Well, yeah, it's it's crazy. So, So Rachel just died, and they're running up the ramp. And, you know, Jake has a great line where he's like, look what they did to my beautiful cousin or whatever. And then it says that he, um, you know, he uh, felt a sizzle in his hand and then let go of the hand that wasn't there anymore. That that was a great line. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Especially uh, in the line about, you know, I, I felt uh, uh, I made a, a whimper sound. I, I didn't try no, to. He moaned. Just, I, he says yeah. he's, he was moaning. Yeah, so crazy. he's like think just of Jake, the fearless so leader. disturbed. Exactly. Yeah, but this this interaction with Visitor Three is great because you know uh, Axe and Visitor Three are like sharing their back and forth like they do all the time in the series, and they're about to tail fight, and Axe is probably about to get super messed up, uh, and then Cassie comes back. Yeah, she's alive. And everyone. then the brakes screech and to a how, halt. <laughs> how great is it that Cassie's the one who kills Visitor Three in this timeline? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, recount to me exactly what happens now. So it's a big jumble of action. Um, It seems like it's leading to something like Axe is going to finally achieve their goal of blowing up the Yurk uh, mothership with using the blade ship, which is pretty rad. Um, It just goes to show that maybe, just maybe, if uh, the Animorphs hadn't formed, somehow Axe could have... Well, I don't know if he could have stormed the blade ship. It seems like Axe would have died here. In this attack on the pool ship, oh, so he definitely. Would have successfully, he would have successfully killed, destroyed the pool ship, and no, I don't think be... he would have succeeded there. I think Visitor Three would have taken Axe out before he could have uh, succeeded in destroying the dome ship. No, because specifically they say <coughs> that in this timeline, um, they would have won faster. Yeah, they do. The the Druid does mention that coming up yeah. here at the end, but but take us through this scene where. Uh, Cassie's the one who who gets the the win. Yeah, for Cassie Visitor. reappears, shoots Visitor Three in the face, and he <laughs> dies. Um, and and uh, as she comes back, you hear the drone 
come in, his voice. First, his voice comes in. And he's freaking out. And he's he's like, a rage no, 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 quitter. That's not how it's supposed to be. Uh, and and they they all hear it, but they're kind of like they're you know they're still focused on what they're doing. And Jake and them are freaking out because you know Cassie's back. This is awesome. And uh, you hear the Joad rambling on um, as Axe is explaining what he's going to do with the, destroying the pool ship and taking them into orbit. And then Marco reappears, and he's in Gorilla Morph. Yeah, for some and reason. And the droid again is like, what? He's just, uh, what's the gorilla there? What's going on? Why, <laughs> why are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> I, I love your interpretation so much more than the actual how it played out. <laughs> and uh, it gets to the point where everyone comes back and uh and you know marco's back in his more human morph uh his real body whatever and uh, <laughs> so oh marco pulling human morph <laughs> <laughs> and uh the droid actually shuts everything down he's before axe can destroy the pool ship and attack it droid puts a stop on life and existence and uh this is where the limus shows up and we actually figure out what's been going on yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, it takes a while for their memories to to snap back into place here, but once. Well, they I like do, that you have the you have the droid and the limus talking about it before they get their memories back, and then suddenly they get it back. And uh, oh man, that might be the most messed up part of the entire book is Jake realizing that this is all his fault. Everybody died because of him. His worst fears coming to reality. You got Tobias there realizing that he would have become a voluntary host. Uh, to a yerk almost, if not for his cowardice once he was about to, you know, pull the trigger on becoming a full member. Uh, you got Marco and Rachel. They almost dated, which uh, really hits Rachel hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, another little humorous I like that. There. Yeah, I like, I like that little comedy moment when, like, Jake and Tobias are about to kill themselves for their decisions. Yeah, it's probably a lot better that Tobias ends up forgetting this whole incident anyway. Oh yeah, and, and you know because uh, they they explain what Cassie is. She's this these she's this um this kind of hook in reality, like a uh, a grounding point. Yeah. By the um, way, like I said earlier, this came out of nowhere. This this is so I feel random, like them trying to make Cassie special because everybody on the team that, has their own random. like like real plot line, you know. And I don't if, think it's that random, though. It's it's explained in this book. Uh, the the limits stack the deck. I think it, it happens to be... Yeah, Cassie. in fact, I'd like to read a portion now in okay, a very ahead. dramatic reading. Go for it. <clears throat> this is where, like you said, the, the Drode and Elimist are uh, having a little talky-talk. Um, she's a freak of nature, the Drode screamed. The Elimist nodded. Yes, she is. Marco said, what is going on here? He was no longer a gorilla. I'm pretty sure I was dead, then I'm a gorilla. Oh, I see it now, I see it now, the droid said, ignoring Marco, ignoring all of us. Subtle as always, Elamist. Your meddling came before, didn't it? How could we not have seen it? Elfingor's brother, his time-shifted son, this anomalous girl here, and the son of Visor One's host body, a group of six supposedly random humans that contains those four. You stack the deck. Um, his his list here is is super interesting, you know, for um, how special these particular characters are, and the random coincidences that you know led them all together to form the the animorphs, like he said. Which you could have been. This actually helps the book series a ton because you could have been reading through these books and those coincidences start piling up 
that these are the Animorphs, the, the son of Alfanger, the brother of Alfanger, the, you know, all these, all these different things that make them special, uh, could have, you know, hurt the series overall, just kind of just sounding like a bunch of Mary Sue's and, uh, Deus Ex Machina's and stuff that coincidences piling up. But, uh, this, this book solves that. The, this is all the Olympus is meddling. This is why he cares so much about the Animorphs. This is why they're so important to his plan. And the fact that this is one of his teams, you know, one of his throughout the universe, the, the pawns that he's playing with, uh, this is one he really cares about, and that's why he stacked the deck and and picked these people. You know, it's um, you know, it's even more interesting that I thought about here from this. My big takeaway is that sure. Jake and Rachel are not special, <laughs> really, in any sort of way. We know that we special, know that. But we, wait, wait, wait. Let me keep going. Go ahead. Go ahead. We, go ahead, go we ahead. know that Rachel is is uh, losing her grip on you know. Not her humanity necessarily, but that, that's kind of what they're alluding to is her rage, her deep-seated rage, and just all of her negative emotions taking control of her and her basically becoming a bad person. Um, that, that's her whole thing. And for some reason, Krayak is super, super interested in Jake. You know, he, he wants to be BFFs with him for some reason. Um, and I don't know if that's addressed as to why necessarily, but... Uh, that's that's the one way I could think of that that makes Jake well, special is because he's here's a how, target to Krayak. Well, no, no, here's how I break down the team. So you've got these three that are special. You have Cassie, who's incredibly important if Krayak was ever going to make the move to time shift events in some way, which that makes total sense. This has happened multiple times with the Olympus and Krayak where they're messing with timelines. So it makes sense for him to have a Cassie nullifier on the team. Um, Marco... Uh, son of Vizzer One. Uh, obviously, that's important to them interacting with the uh, with the Yurks and and their fight against them. You know that gives him some insider, gives him some edge um, to have that connection with Vizzer One. Doesn't doesn't correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not sure about this, but doesn't Vizzer One eventually join them and sort of work with the uh, the Yurk Peace Movement? I, I honestly I can't remember I, don't remember, I can't I don't, remember Vizzer One's fate from the if it yeah I, if that happens ending. I don't I didn't read that book um, but no, no like continue real quick uh, you have Tobias son of Elfangor you have Axe brother of Elfangor those are important just for that connection and and that you know what it means for the resistance and and their connection to Andalites um, and then and then Cassie or Rachel and Jake I feel like they're important because he needed to fill out this team with what it still needed. So you have the people who he picked right off the bat for very specific reasons, but then you still need someone to lead them. And I think he he chose you know someone who was close to Marco, who had that leadership type quality in them, and that's where Jake fits in. And because Jake is leader of the Animorphs, that's why he becomes important to Krayak. Um, yeah, and then you have oh, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, have Rachel, Rachel, who has Rachel has the connection to Cassie, which helps you know bring them together. And Rachel is also the brute force. You need a warrior on the team. And that's Rachel. You need someone who's just going to go in and kick ass. Oh, dude, and- I so want to do an Alternomorphs episode or series or something where it's like an alternate timeline. And in this one, everything's the same, except Jake and Rachel's roles were reversed. And uh, Rachel was like, you know, the calm, level-headed leader of the group. And Jake mm-hmm. was like the brute who was just like, I want to get in there and, and dominate, you know, like he could be the dumb jock, like real brute that Rachel well, has to keep in line. Like that would well, be one of the reasons, excellent one alternative. Of, 
One of the reasons, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, so I don't care about bringing it up now. One of the reasons I really like our idea for continuing the series with Rachel as you know having her own team. Well, man, I don't, I, really I like, don't think we ever said anything about that recorded. We did. We we actually have. We absolutely, we absolutely have. Um, Either way, I don't want to talk about it now. Well, I've already brought it up. I'm not going to edit this part out. <laughs> just keep it to a minimal. Your comments. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. If you want to stop it, just continue on. I gotta um, let you know my feelings. <laughs> I like the idea of Rachel in a leadership role and being a different type of leader than Jake, because you always have that kind of confrontation uh, uh, between her and Jake of like, well, you can't boss me around or who made you leader or blah, blah, blah. And her thinking she could be leader too. And we've seen her take that role a couple times, but I, I feel like she actually could be a good leader in a different way, which is why I like it so much. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so that's how I think the group fits together and why they work so well and I would love to see a timeline where I feel like, just to bring up another another Animorph, uh, I feel like David, if he could have existed within this group, he would have been like the super ruthless, does whatever it needs to head, does whatever they need done uh, that the others aren't willing to do. Kind of like Rachel, a mix of Rachel and Marco, uh, this like kind of snide character. Yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, the possibilities are endless for. Lots of cool stuff to happen. I mean, if they'd have even done a one-off book where the characters, the cast, switched personalities, like, that'd be super interesting to see. What about, you know, Marco and Cassie switch personalities, Jake and uh, Rachel switch personalities, Tobias and Axe switch personalities, like, it it could lead to some funny moments. So basically, (laughs) to add to our I want that book list, uh, it would be about six to seven Back to before Megamorphs books. <laughs> I want I, I want a, a book where they all end up having to morph each other for various reasons, and then they can't keep straight who they're talking to because they get <laughs> the morph so messed up. <laughs> and eventually it's like Cassie going to Rachel and being like, hey, Marco, I need something. And then Rachel being like, what? This is Axe. <laughs> Aren't you Jake? Wait, am I Axe? <laughs> Tobias flies by. I'm Marco. Look at me. <laughs> anyway, Tobias becomes a nothlet in somebody else's body. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any more to this book? Are we done talking? No. The 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 timeline's collapsing. Uh, um, with nothing left, you know, to do with the story, they put you back at uh, the scene from the beginning where Jake, you know, is coming off that hard fought battle. Um, he, he, it's the, well, it's the, the exact same writing, in fact. Yeah, they spent a whole chapter copy and pasting the beginning to the end. <laughs> sure. There's like some slight differences, but um, yeah, and then you got Jake, and you see how that scene plays out. Jake uh, is told what he needs to do to make everything go away. He's about to say the words, and then the droid's like, screw it, I'm out of here. I, lo- I love that ending, that he's just like, never mind. You know, it felt very, like... Doctor Who-ish, almost. (laughs) In that, like, things were about to play out the same way, you know? Like, I don't don't know why he just didn't even uh, uh, start with the tempting, you know? If he knew he was going to pull out of it, why? Why even start with well, it? Because that's when the I feel like that's when the timelines. That's merge. just like that's, that's, yeah. just the joke, but yeah, yeah, or that, yeah. or that, yeah. Maybe the timelines snap back together there, but either way, you know that wraps up the book. Um, uh, real quick before we move on to our reviews or say much else, there was um once uh, passage in here that 
uh, I didn't get to it at the, uh, the time we were actually talking about it plot wise, but I, I want to go back to it now. Are we uh, trying to break a record for dramatic readings in this episode? I, I'm told people like them. Um, so th- this is uh, a little bit from Tobias, um, just kind of his internal monologue at one point. Um, it- it's really about, you know, his struggle against bullying, but I think you could take it and look at it as a message about like just life in general, anything suicide in particular comes to mind when I read this. Um, yep. but I just want to read it out loud and you take what you take from it. I liked it a lot and I hope you do too. Even now, no easy answers leap to mind. I could not easily have stood the bullying. I could not have easily survived the loneliness. In my fantasies, I could construct fantastic escapes, but in reality, there was no easy way. My life was nonfiction, not some story where the endings are always happy. I couldn't simply become a different person. I couldn't just have some great insight that would save me from myself. All I could have done, really, was wait. I could have endured. I saw that now. It wasn't a dramatic answer. It wasn't exactly inspiring. Endure. Outlast. Outweight. I might have been able to do that. I'm not a fool. I know that school was just a part of my life. You spend 18 years as a kid, then maybe 70 years as an adult. And what you are as a kid isn't what you'll be as an adult. Not always, anyway. Endure. I could have done that. Boom. That, that, like, I had to reread that a couple times. It was kind of a gut punch, honestly. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie that uh, that this specific book helped me when I was uh, younger and reading these. You know, that's that's nice to hear that you know school's not gonna last forever, and what you're dealing with then is not what you'll deal with in real life. Yeah, totally. And they have basically this whole series been kind of ramming that message down our throat, but this was their opportunity to really come right out and say it, like you know, uh, be yourself. It gets better. <laughs> basically, I would. I would not be surprised if Tobias' story in this book was a big reason why they wanted to write this book, period. I could almost see it going a different way if this were published in a more uh, uh, timely setting or something about... And this goes back to, like, way, way back to you and your dumb shipping theories about (laughs) Jake and (laughs) Tobias. But I could have totally seen this going down as Tobias, you know, starting to fall more and more for Jake here. I'm just, yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not trying to write my own fan fiction or anything. It's already written. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably tons of Jake Tobias stuff. Yeah, but how would the bullying have played in? Uh, well, Jake obviously saved him once, and I don't know. It sounds like he's going to save him from the sharing. So either that, or or Tobias develops some kind of S and M fantasy. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, well, that's one way to end a conflict. <laughs> I don't know. This is a one time where I think I'm just going to go ahead and say I don't want that book. <laughs> well, too bad. You got that one. It exists, unfortunately. Um, now, Let's get our reviews. Who, who, I, who wants to go first? I don't know, man. This is like maybe we should just do like a hodgepodge kind of we both just talk it over. Because, you know, I'm still a little divided on my numbering of this no, one for, for my rating. Um, <laughs> I'm I, 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 I just wonder if maybe you, in, in this final reviewing segment, you could talk me into raising it. I don't know. Okay. Let me, let me go first. We'll my review then. We'll, we'll, we won't have a talk back and forth. I like our reviews being separate so we can say our piece. Ugh. Um, 
It's a bunch so, of bullshit, but okay. So let me go first, and let me see if I can change your mind a little bit. Do it. Um, Do in it. In my mind, this is everything I've wanted from a Megamorphs book, and uh, if every single normal book could be like this, this series would have been an even bigger hit than it already was. Um, this is... In, in showing us who the Animorphs could be, it gave a clearer view of who they are in this series than any other book. Um, you have every single character coming out as who they really are. And who are we without our powers? This is this is what every superhero movie is asking nowadays. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a message straight to the common man of, like, who you are in life is who you have to be without, you know... Uh, without the power to change it, you know, without some magical force coming into your life and, and making everything better. Um, not that the morphine really makes their lives better, but still. <laughs> sure. um, you know what I mean? It obviously does make their lives better in this scenario. No <laughs> well, what yeah, the one-odd Jake, scenario. Yeah, no matter what whiny Jake wants. Um, but no, I think, I think a book whose plot is rooted and a character choosing the easy way out, a character that we're supposed to like and uh, lead the the main force of the series, this is incredible. This is, for a kid's book series, this is dealing with things. You know, Say what you will about the war-torn uh, chapters or the, uh, the, the books that deal with really graphic stuff for a kid's series. Um, this book, I think, is trying to be way more than even those things. It, it's It's delving into the kind of story and the kind of character development that most book series, no matter whether they're for adults or children, wouldn't touch because they think it would drag too much. But this ends up being an incredibly exciting book, a very action-packed book, uh, with no powers, without any morphine, for the most part. Uh, how many how many other series could even come close to doing something like this? This is straight up, easily, a 5 out of 5 black and white covers. Um animorphs book this is the highest rating i can go uh and i don't i don't understand how it could go below that for anyone who's who loves these characters and okay uh, loves this writing style no i i get you i feel you i have a lot of feelings about this book most of them are, are similar to yours i like your explanations though they make me feel uh better about it and i'll uh, definitely admit i mean could just calling it an amnesia story is a little uh, broad in, in scale and scope. I mean, uh, there there's a lot a lot at play here. This thing is is pure magic by Animorph standards. And can I say one final thought? Just because I didn't get to uh, react to your amnesia um, side of things. Oh sure. So I think that there are many books, even in this series, that are an amnesia plotline. And those ones are usually fun stories that don't really matter to the overall plot. <laughs> like the that. actual amnesia plotline from Megamorphs 1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or things that, you know, they just want to tell an experimental story and it's not going to affect everything else. You know, it's those are usually lighter books. Um, what's interesting about this one is even though it does do what you said, like everything reverts back to at the end, uh, this is a book of reflection a book of cementing who these people are and, and looking back over at the entirety of the series and and saying, this is what we were trying to say. Here's a new perspective on it. So I think it, it's not an amnesia book. It's a reflecting book. And uh, without changing the plot and moving us towards that end of the series, uh, it does more for the rest of the series than any of those other books could have uh, in their experimental stories or, or confined stories. Sure, sure. I I'll give you that. And yeah, you know, this fits in at a great place in the continuity of the series. This is the point where 
not only has the team been holding out against the Yerks for all this time, but they are also now starting to believe that no Andalites are, are coming to help them out. So the Jake that we see in the beginning that, you know, was tempted by the Drode, uh, he's really at the end of his ropes. I mean, he, he's pretty uh, resigned to the belief that he and his friends are going to die fighting the Yerks any day now. And, you know, somebody is just like, hey, hey, easy way out, easy way out. Um, you can make you can make a suicide metaphor. You could. Uh, <laughs> I won't. But um, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a great book for reflection on the characters, looking back at what makes them who they are. Um, I think just in hearing you talk about it and getting to talk about it with somebody definitely perked me up a bit. Um, reading through it, you know, when you get things hyped for you to a certain extent. Um, sometimes it's hard to live up to what your expectations are in that hype, you know? Um, it, it was definitely one of the coolest things to see the process of the sharing, how they accumulate people, um, where the team would be without any of this happening. Look, man, this is, it's going where you think it is. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. Okay. It's, it's a five. It's a solid five, five out of five, uh, I didn't even think of anything clever Yay. on this one. Five out of five uh, Drode appearances. <laughs> <laughs> That's about how many times he shows up, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, I had something else I was going to say about this. <laughs> no, well, um, that's it. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. It's just... Uh, yeah, I can't think of it now. Well, well, that's absolutely okay. If you think of it in the next second, let me know. Um I don't, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this one. I hope that I don't continue to feel as though the next book should have been the Megamorphs because I, you know, as much as I love this, every every moment of this book, um, there were a lot of things that I felt like, well, they could have trimmed that or they would have the, trimmed that if it had been a normal book, you know. The only reason I feel like the next one could have been a, a Megamorphs book is just because it goes to such a wacky place. It's a, it's so out there. As far as these books, I mean, it's it's more out there than the um, Atlantis book. It's You're kidding me, because I uh, I don't know if I read the whole thing. I don't think I did read the whole thing, but all I can remember is Jake wakes up in the future where it's post invasion. The Yerks are successful. Uh, he and his friends are now controllers. Um, one of them's dead, and um, I, I, I don't know where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy sci-fi book. That takes place on Earth in the future. I mean, that's that's why it's so crazy in my mind. Uh, showing well, where everybody turned out. a horrible future. Where, yeah, an absolutely horrible future. Um, but, so, uh, I did remember what I was going to say. Uh, I really wish, so the droid says at the end of this book that only Cassie will remember slightly anything that happened. I almost wish there would have been a super poignant moment in a book after this where everybody's fighting about something and somebody says something that... Like, well, if the Yerks were never here, we would have done this. And then Cassie said, like, comes out of nowhere and it's like, no, we wouldn't have. Or something like that, some really important point. That would oh, be nice. I remembered something uh, that I thought would have been really funny. So, you know, uh, when the team finally, like, starts to figure things out and they, they go and meet up at Cassie's barn for the first time in this book. Well, they missed an opportunity. It would have been super hilarious. If uh, they were like, okay, we, we, we need to get up and or get together and to talk things through. Uh, anybody want to supply a location? And Cassie's like, oh, yeah, me. 
<laughs> they all go over to Cassie's and she takes them up to her attic, which is like that super secluded great. and nice. And she's like, this is my attic. Parents are never up here. We can talk <laughs> all we want. And they're like, wow, this is a really nice attic. We'll definitely meet here in the future. <laughs> that would have been great. Um, that, that, or if, or if it would have been moment. like, or if they were like, oh, we need a place to go. Uh, where can we, where can we be private? And like Cassie's like, well, we could go to my, and then Rachel's like, let's go over to my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Basically the same joke as me, but yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. I put my own spin on it. Way to go. That's what we do now is just copy each other's jokes in a chain until they get like so diluted. <laughs> no, you put things out there and then I edit them. That's what I do. Hey, I'm I'm the bone layer and you're the meat man. That's that's what we do. <laughs> I really don't want meat man to stick. If we could go anything else, that'd be great. Ooh, meat man on a stick. That sounds like a merchandising opportunity, my friend. Put that on a t-shirt. Oh boy. Well, thus concludes our coverage of Megamorphs number four. The Animorphs, aka uh, yeah. the Changelings, aka Megamorphs number four, back to before. There's a lot of titles on this thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a good time. I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. Um, again, if you want to help us out in any way, uh, this show takes a, a lot of resources, actually, to put out there and get out to you in a timely manner, which we're not always great at, but we could get better. And uh, one of the ways that helps us get better is, is helping us and supporting us on Patreon. Uh, donating just a little bit uh, every time we put out an episode. It helps pay for the cost of the show and helps us uh, put out a better show, honestly. You can find us at uh, ThoughtSpeakCast or Patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeakCast. Um, Absolutely. And our Facebook page, we're pretty active on there as well, You know, talking with the fans and whatnot. Uh, you can message me anytime on Patreon if you're one of our subscribers, and I will get back to you always. That's my pledge to you, uh, nameless Patreon subscribers who are named. <laughs> yeah, check us out on Twitter. Uh, again, reviews and ratings on iTunes helps us out an insane amount um you have no idea that's that just helps spread the word of the show um and get us out there to new audiences which uh i think is gonna happen more and more coming up absolutely and uh, another thing we're excited to keep incorporating are uh the return of some more guest host slots uh potentially here in the future coming up um you know it's great uh, i always always enjoy talking to my good buddy coleman um, but I think a real cool aspect of this podcast has been being able to talk with other fans that we might not necessarily get to and, and hear a couple other interpretations of some of these uh, story ideas. Yeah, and uh, just a just a slight uh, retraction. It is uh, patreon.com slash thoughtspeak, not thoughtspeakcast. Uh, patreon.com slash thoughtspeak if you want oh, to oh yeah um, by the way you should make a retraction for all the times you referenced Megamorphs number 5 in the previous yeah, episode yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I really thought this was Megamorphs number 5 apparently there is no Megamorphs number 5 apparently so, like, that's not a thing that exists get Apple. on that Applegate alright we're, we're way overdue <laughs> Right on. Absolutely, we are. Okay. Well, we have a problem wrapping this show up. I'm going to say right now, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. I had a good time on this episode. I love these Megamorphs episodes. It's a shame we don't have any more, but we saw, we have some great books coming up. We have uh, another Chronicles book coming out, possibly the best Chronicles book coming up. Uh, really excited for that one. 
And uh, yeah, we're we're coming here to the end of the series. And uh, even though you guys have been with us a long time, uh, I'm not going to say go away just yet. We might have more in store um, after we wrap up this little thing called Animorphs. So we'll talk more about that later. But for right now, I've been your host, Coleman. And for right now and for the future, I'll be your host, Mitchell, saying thanks for listening. Come on back. <laughs>